0: To another edition of the Tetracast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitale. Joining me today, I have Adam Vitale. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. Chow Min Wu. How's it going? And joining us this week, we have Quentin O'Connor. Hello. Hello. So, uh, Quentin is here. We kind of. preempted this last week. Quinton has been covering Baldur's Gate 3 for us on the site, and even though we kind of were able to introduce the game last week as it had just come out a couple of days before recording, uh, we knew that going into this week we'd have more of the staff and contributors have had more time with the game. Uh, Quinton is going to be reviewing the game for our RPG site, and we wanted to get them on to the podcast so that we could talk about the game at length as we have had more time to dive into it and then as to explain josh's uh missing appearance he is feeling very under the weather he had a few uh on-site events or one on-site event last week and might have come down with something in any case we hope he feels better he's just resting so we will catch back up with him next week but i think Mm -hmm. quinton uh baldur's gate 3 review which is what we're going to talk about first here it's all written up and everything we just needed to put final touches on it and it'll probably go up very shortly so podcast version of the review i suppose yeah Yeah. honestly i'm kind
1: of surprised it hasn't gone up already it's basically been in the cms for a few days now basically looked like it was ready so i was kind of like huh i don't know
0: but yeah, we oh, only yeah. had a couple of days of a uh, of prelude before the embargo and we didn't want to rush anything. We didn't really think a review in progress was really that meaningful. So we kind of just decided, hey Quentin, take your time. You know, we'll get it up when it gets up. And it's always kind of fun to like write a review when you know that, you know, it's you're not posting it from a place of like journalist privilege, where you're just like everyone else has been playing this, but here's my thoughts and, you know, what do you think about this? So Quentin, we'll kind of let you kick off the conversation with uh, Baldur's Gate 3. So no amongst the podcast participants, some of us have, you know, grew up with Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Some of us didn't play Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, but we played the Divinity Games from Larian Studios. Some people might just be jumping in blind because of good word of mouth. Uh, where are you coming from when you approach Baldur's Gate 3?
2: Right. So um, I am sort of a, a one of the later adopters of uh, Bioware. So I, I jumped in with uh, Dragon Age and And Mass Effect, and you know, uh, uh, Knights of the Old Republic was as far back as I had gone for a while, and then you know what came before Knights of the Old Republic, uh, you know, was uh, Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate Two. So it wasn't until um, a number of years ago that I I finally went back. I I didn't really grow up with uh, D and D like a lot of uh, my peers did, but I, I started, you know, playing around with the campaigns and stuff, and I was like, all right, you know, I really need to see what this is like. Uh, with those writers who I, I grew so up with, is, for games. so is
0: Quentin one of those people who's like, this Baldur's Gate game reminds me of Dragon Age three.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, which what? is sort
0: of backwards <laughs> in, in an amazing way. Yeah, no, actually, I was
2: about to make a, a very similar joke. We've we've talked oh, about that a little bit. Um, yeah, just to sidetrack very slightly, uh, one thing that we had noticed, uh, several of us. Uh, When Baldur's Gate 3 was coming out was that um, a lot of people were like, ah, this is the Dragon Age Origins spiritual successor that I've been looking for for so long. Um, You know, or even people who really like Inquisition might say, like, ah, this is the next Dragon Age finally, Uh, which is which is funny, because as some know, when Dragon Age Origins was being pitched by Bioware and marketing, um, one of the things that really caught on was uh, this is the spiritual successor. Bulger's Gate 2 and there were people like uh, you know I, I really want you know Bulger's Gate 3 well here you are uh, all these years later and the community is taking on this air where a lot of people uh, some folks in the press etc have said this is um you know the spiritual successor to Dragon Age so it's it's a, it's a an Ouroboros thing um, yeah kind of like the Tomb Raider Uncharted Tomb Raider reboot yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think um Ironically, that's kind of the perfect place uh for me to start with this is um as someone who says often and loudly that the first Dragon Age is is one of my favorite games of all time. Um
0: you know what? Yeah. Uh <laughs> I I, I, no, I, should, I let me emphasize real quick here that we understand that there are differences between Dragon Age and Baldur's Gate, like I could just see people getting upset like they're not the same. It's like okay, And there are differences between Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 and Baldur's Gate 3 and right. there are differences really. like when yeah. Quentin was discussing like what what this game reminds them of. I know where I came from. I I did eventually play Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, but I played the Beam Dog like remakes yeah. but, I... or re- remasters. So like for me it was hey, this feels like Divinity Original Sin only with a D and D flavor, but like Divinity original sin was obviously just inspired by D and D. So it's just like another a <laughs> robberous <laughs> from that front.
2: Yeah. It just goes on and on. Um, I, good things just uh, keep popping up over time, I guess. And that's, that's I, Baldur's gate three absolutely has its own, its own DNA. It, it's uh, as much a sequel to Baldur's gate two, as it feels like, um, something that the folks who made divinity you know just made which they did um and it's I, i think the best way for me to put it is that at no point during my entire playthrough did i feel like oh this feels just like some other game but at the same time at no point during my full playthrough did i not feel this weird sense of nostalgia rush over me even as someone who didn't grow up with Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 because there's just so much in this game that feels like a love letter to so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a good game.
0: So, uh, what sort of character did you make? Or did you run with an origin character?
2: I ran with an origin character. I, I honestly kind of regret it. Um, you know, it's okay. I could have restarted. At some point, I will play with uh, with a full me avatar or whatever. Uh, but I chose Astarion. Um, Mm -hmm. the suave gray haired vampire with a silky, sassy voice. Apparently I wrote my review. I don't remember writing that, but I'm looking at it right now. So, uh, yeah, that tracks, um, it's kind of funny though, because you get to choose from, you know, all these, these several different origins and, um, you even get to click, uh, on this little thing that like the character's voice actor will introduce themselves to you as like, you know, kind of like summarizing their little hidden episode. So with Asarian, he's just like right off the bat. Uh, when I'm, when I'm going through the character creation process and I pick him, he's just like, you know, I, I, I have this vengeance that I, I, I need to say again, you know, you can tell by the way I speak that I'm this trickster and that, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I rolled with him and I was like, this is very fun. And then I found, Rather early on that I, I. It took me a little bit to get past this worry that I wasn't playing him correctly because I kept finding myself being a little bit more benevolent. <laughs> than I All think Variant right. origin strike, which is OK. Um, you can absolutely do that now. And that's one of the beautiful things, though, is that if you play a little bit more to the character as they're presented, um, you'll get like some inspiration out of it, which. Is for folks who aren't familiar with D and D and all that inspiration. uh, It's a good thing to have. Uh, It it, in this case, at least, uh, it sort of like stacks and it it gives you extra rolls and and just you know good stuff. Um, So whenever I would realize that I kind of wanted to registering a little bit more closely to how he's presented, the game would always kind of pat me on the shoulder in this really neat way because it would be like, oh, you successfully sweet talk this, or oh, you totally just you know. Pulled one over on someone, um, which I think is really neat because it invites me to go back. Also, even though I just said I want to play like my own character next time. um, I'd love to see how that translates for other people who pick the various origins like. um, Lazelle, who's like, you know, this. Without going into it, you know, she's like this warrior. She's from this warrior race and all that. Um. Do do you get inspiration just for like deciding and bludgeon everyone in the head all the time, or you know that sort of thing? Like it, the game has so many little quirks, like it. I love it.
0: The inspiration system is kind of nice because, like, of course there are so many. I mean, we we've talked about in a few different contexts on this podcast. The this is gonna sound like a silly tangent, but I'm I'm going somewhere with this. There was a there is an ongoing conversation about side quests. In Final Fantasy 16, are they good? Are they not good? Maybe they're good, but they're all too backloaded. whatever. The thing about Baldur's Gate 3 kind of reminded me like in RPGs, there's it's not the only one that behaves this way. There really isn't side quests. I mean, there are, but they they interlock in so many interesting ways that to consider what's a main path or critical path or not critical path is not an easy determination to make sometimes. And not only do you have these interlocking quests, but you have these inspiration points where depending on what dialogue option you pick or whether you, if you have to get a piece a piece of information, whether you steal it, whether you coax it out of them, like you, you end up in the same place quest wise, but depending on who's in your party or what character you're playing as, you might get these inspiration points and you can go into your journal. And of course for your main character, like I didn't pick an origin character, I have a lot of inspiration points in my journal because they're always in my party. But then I can go to like Lazel or go to Estereon, who for me is a party member, and say like, oh yeah, he was in my party when I did this thing or when I stole this item or when I, like you said, pulled the wool over someone's eyes. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like uh, just another way where you might say like, well, if I pick two different dialogue options, but they lead to the same place, does that matter? It's like, well, that's just role-playing. Like, just because you get the same item out of it or you get the same quest EXP out of it, you're still role-playing to get there. Like, what sort of character do you want to be? What sort of people are are in your party? Uh, and you you mentioned, like, maybe it was a mistake to pick Asterion as your um origin character. I will say that if you're going to pick anyone, like, I pretty much always have Asterion as my, in my party just for opening chests and doors. So, like, I pretty much, oh, he's not my origin character, but he's always in my party anyway. So, if you're just playing as him, it's like, all right, now I get to pick three other characters to, to have in my party rather than just having the two slots available. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, I yeah. know you started uh started recently because um, you hadn't started by the time we were playing last um last week. I literally just started last night, and I might start over. Oh, <laughs> okay. After getting through the Nautilus, I'm like, hmm, I'm going tweet my character slightly, and, you know, I'm only half an hour in or whatever. Right. So I decided to play as a cleric, an elf cleric, and I know Shadowheart is also, like, a cleric. Now, I haven't played the game, so I don't quite know how she's built or how she can be, like, what direction she can be steered in. But, you know, I kind of figure it's not the worst thing in the world to have two clerics, and you and can yeah, just kick her out of the party. The way so. the subclasses work, too, is, like, I picked Fighter, and I should have known this, because I played Early Access, but... Lazel is also a fighter. But I made Lazel, I'm probably get the, gonna get the names wrong. I made Lazel the, the weapon master where they get like the superiority dice and they can do like the different sorts of attacks. So I made myself the Eldritch fighter so I can cast like spells. Um so and you can probably do the same thing with your cleric. Make make Shadow Heart like the she starts out as a trickster cleric and then you can make yourself like the war master cleric. I forget the titles, but there's, there's ways where having, it's not like, oh, darn, I have two of the same class. How useless. Like, no, you can make use of it. And (laughs) you will have plenty of gear to go around uh, in order to to kind of gear up two people to kind of serve uh, two different roles. So Quentin, you're going into act one. Who are you playing mostly as like, Paragon, like did you? So obviously, one of the one of the key <laughs> disputes yeah. early in Act One is like the goblins versus the tieflings slash druids, and I was kind of like teed up for this because I had played through the early access, which covered most of Act One, but not all of it. So I ended up, I kind of wish, like I regret, like I basically. The way I played the game in early access back in like 2020, the, play, the way I played Act One now, I basically just follow the same path where I was just like super polite, super nice. I'm going to help the druids. I'm going to stop them before the goblins attack. Uh, I'm just curious what what avenue you took.
2: Uh, well, at the risk of of not providing much fresh information relative to what you just said. That's basically what I did um, yeah. with, with with my uh, mentality too. you know, back to the whole like, oh, I have to look at this from like a Sterian's perspective. No, I don't. It's yes, like, do. you know, that sort of thing. Um, it also just felt more like him to me. You know, if I, if I was thinking in role playing terms to say, you know, everybody relax, you know, maybe probably deliver it with a little bit more sneer in his voice thing. I imagine things kind of translate because it's, it's, it's definitely a more cordial resolution. I I know what we're both talking about. Um, But yeah, that's another thing too, where like, and this kind of ties back to something you had just said too. like, okay, so this situation, you know, without getting into too much spoilers, like this situation gets resolved and like, there are these various ways that it will get resolved. Um, Like you said earlier though. um, It's, it's, really impressive the, the different number of ways that it can be done because yeah you, you could go in there um i was gonna say guns blazing i guess that's not really correct spells blazing in this case you could go in there uh you know spells blazing and and just you know wanton destruction uh from multiple narrative perspectives um or not either way like it it's part of the main story, but depending on how you approach it, it might feel like it's kind of off to the side, that sort of thing. Um I I, I think ultimately, and this will track for like my whole playthrough. Um it kind of feels like in the Forgotten Realms, people die so frequently <laughs> that it's kind of nice to try to save lives whenever possible. Um, no matter the the species or whatever that sort of thing. Um I mean, you start the game and you're you're like in a basically a, a spaceship that's blowing up and people are dying all over you. So yeah, take the polite path whenever possible.
0: And like I had my girlfriend is actually asking me like, hey, like she was interested in playing with me because, of course, this game does have multiplayer component. But I'm playing through it single player right now. She's like, is this the sort of game that you'd want to play through again? And I'm kind of like, yes, because for for instance, <laughs> even if I choose the same side and I choose the tieflings or the druids first of all you can kind of like side with the druids exclusively and kick the tieflings out which I have no idea what how that carries out or like there seems like there's a route where you can side with both of them but you like you you kind of do like a helm's deep sort of thing where you like hold the defense at the grove and do it from that perspective as well um And like I, so the druids, there's basically like a power struggle between like the benevolent druid leader and the more like hard stance druid leader. And one way you can resolve that is just to rescue Halsim, who is a pretty important druid character, eventually joins your party, who's like Mm -hmm. the super nice paragon, lawful good druid. But also like some of them are just like, why don't you just like, why don't you just murder the bad one? And that way uh, we don't have to complete the ritual. Like, so that's kind of like doing a bad thing to get a good result. And, or you can just like say to hell with it and just go to the goblins and be like, all right, let's, let's, let's march on the grove. And I guess you get different party members if you do it that way. So I'm like, yes, I, even though this game is very long, I think I'm something like 60 hours in. And I'm still in like act two of three. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I could easily see myself finding some sort of time in the back half of the year playing through again and maybe not being like, cause it's there, there's, levels between being absolutely paragon and being absolutely just like murder everyone in sight sort of mind but i want to play to someone who just like only out for their own interest you know always side with like probably the more nefarious faction but not just doing it in a murder way but doing it by just being underhanded or undermining and then speaking of act two i was always surprised like in, in divinity original sin games especially the first one. The second one, I actually don't remember quite as well, is also divided into acts. But the acts, to my memory, are very separate from one another. Like, once you go into Act 2, you're kind of stuck there. And I might not, I might not be remembering completely, but in Baldur's Gate 3, you go into Act 2, and you all the characters from Act 1 are still there, and they're referencing the events that you helped them through or didn't help them through. And like and I'm kind of like, so you, you go to Act 2, and you go to this, like, camp of refugees and it's a lot of the same tieflings from the grove earlier and i'm Mm. like man what if i didn't save these guys would this place just be deserted or it would only have a certain faction here or what if i was an ass and they survived would they would i not be allowed here and i know like over time some of the magic will be lost because websites like fextra life or wiki or fandom or whatever are are going to like distill this down to a science about exactly how the interlocks work but until that's in place it is really kind of neat just to be like you see a character reference two interlocking quests that you did 20 hours ago, and it affects what you're currently doing, you know, a week later. And I'm like, damn, like I didn't realize that this is the, that the that it would look that far ahead. That it, it's not just you do it, you help a person, you get a reward, and you never think about them again. Like, no, they're gonna crop back up. Um, there's an early game quest where you uh rescue a gnome from being trapped on a windmill i think this is something they showed very early in like one of the very early like PAX things like 2021 and i rescued them and whatever and i thought this is fine like whatever i'm being a good person get a small reward okay and then you later go to a place where a bunch of other gnomes have been enslaved and he's there and i'm like oh man like time to and you can actually say like i guess i gotta rescue your hide again huh so like, oh, what if I what if I didn't run into him? What if I had murdered him? Things like that. So I'm ex- I'm ex- so, excited for this to be kind of a potentially a perennial game that I revisit a few times over the next couple of years. Go ahead,
1: Jake. The funny thing about that gnome is that that guy like straight up just joined my camp for a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. There's been a few cases where characters uh, will temporarily join your camp, and I'm yep. glad it's not like a there's a, there's a few games where it's almost like a collectathon where you're like. You try to get as many people in your base as possible. But in Baldur's Gate 3, they'll they'll show up there like while you're in the middle of dealing with their quest. Um, I found a lost tiefling in the battle in the shadow battlefield. I'm trying to find her parents, I believe. And I haven't found them yet. But in the meantime, she's holding she's hanging out at the camp. And when I so go cool. to the when I go to the camp, you every once in a while you see like there's no voice acting but you'll see the the dialogue bubbles all over the character's head and he's and this little tiefling girl is like poking and prodding at the the lich that you get on your team i'm forgetting his name withers and she's just being like a you know an eight-year-old inquisitive pest and withers is like leave me alone <laughs> or whatever so just little little interactions like that are fun uh, loved. Launched...
2: Am... Oh, that's funny
0: yeah and while i'm speaking of the camp uh did you rescue the the dog and the owlbear cub?
2: Uh I I refuse to speak to anybody who doesn't do at least the the latter one. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Yeah. Especially after um one of the first things that I bumped into in act one is um that little well, there's no real little encounters, but that encounter where um there's like and this thing it taking a completely different direction for a sec, but you'll see where I'm going. Uh, Those blogic hyenas and then the oh, gnolls yeah. burst out of them. And I was like, oh, so like from there on out, like an hour into the game, I was prepared for like terrible things to happen to animals and that sort of thing. There's nothing you can do for the hyenas. They're already screwed, of course. But like <laughs> from that moment on, I was like. If there is an animal of any sort in need in this realm, by goodness, I am not going to let anything like that ever happen to it. So very much uh, animal rights activist running around. I wanted to say, by the way, real quick about that gnome. Um, When you rescued him, did you like hit the lever? This is so small. I don't think it's a spoiler or anything. Did you like hit the lever that made him like it was like, oh, hit the brake and I hit the brake. He
0: went launching into the sky. Did that happen to you? no i did not launch him i just i think i just shot him down with a bow that, I did not well, you're,
2: him. you're a better man than i i, I didn't mean to I, there was there was a button and i pushed it and that's kind of like the name of Baldur's gate three really is <laughs> if you push a button be prepared for consequences because <laughs> he went flying uh i i found him eventually it was all good but yeah
0: james what did you say last week you were playing as uh barbarian all right, so I've gotten... As- there was a Barbarian party member as well who I didn't have on my party um, last time, but I did get her a So I think she's pretty much like the last character you'll typically find in Act 1, I believe. Um, And she's... Mm-hmm. I guess we can kind of talk about a different some of the other characters here. We talked about Astarion a bit. Um, Lazel is pretty straight, straightforward, simple. She basically wants nothing to do with the parasite. She... Uh, wants you to go and do, get not get distracted and do nothing but go to her people uh, to find because she believes only her people's doctors can get rid of the parasite or whatever. And eventually, you learn that it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, Shadowheart is kind of interesting because she is like withholding a lot of information from you at the start, uh, but also seems to interface with the main story in some very direct ways, especially in Act Two when you're uh, dealing with Catherine Thorne and yeah. like the uh, the Shadowfell. Let's see, is, seems like very much like doesn't interface with the story much in a way. She has her issues where she has the infernal engine that you can kind of manipulate in a few different ways with the soul coins and with the infernal iron that you get. But it doesn't really seem like it has, at least not yet, interfaced with the main quest quite as much as either Lysel's or Shadow Hearts have. And then in Act 2, I kind of already talked about this. One character I was not because I did I did not like go to like wiki or whatever and say, who are all the possible party members? And we talked about how I think in a previous podcast, like Minsk is uh, recruitable. There's a couple other familiar faces from people who played the first two games. But when Halson, he was just just, he was just sticking in my camp for a while. And I assumed he was just kind of like hanging out. Uh, But eventually you do you do a few quests for him and then he joins your team afterwards. I'm like, hell yeah, finally, I get a druid because I was actually wondering, like, do I not get a druid unless I play one myself? Uh, but no, he's a druid, and he uh, he's really nice because he kind of gives you another healing option that's not um, not Shadowheart if you're not playing one yourself. So that's pretty fun. And I know there's still a few other characters late in Act 2 that you can potentially recruit that I haven't gotten quite, quite gotten to yet. But uh, how how are we feeling about the cast so far? What, were, what was your kind of thoughts on party members that you played with, Quentin?
2: Oh, um, I definitely had a good few um, going. I I Liked to rotate. I know at the beginning of the game, um, I I kind of fell under this false impression sort of because of how quickly uh, all of the origin characters join you. I was like, oh, this is kind of a Mass Effect one thing. I guess that's everybody. Even though I, I knew in the back of my head, wait, no, because I know there's Minsk. I know there's right. other people. What's going on here? So, you know, as things go on, and especially in Act 2 and then past that, um, <laughs> you do you, you get more uh, options and that sort of thing. I... I really liked to just kind of swap around a lot to the point, And I'm kind of like this with all RPGs. I want to use everybody always all the time to the point that I was worried for a while, because at least for me, Baldur's Gate 3 can be pretty tough sometimes. I mean, that's kind of the idea. You know, you take you, you take a a wrong left, so to speak. And you're in this situation where there are these enemies that are notably more powerful than you. I mean, it can happen like half an hour into the game of the chapel and it just keeps happening from there. Um, So I was a little worried, like if I keep watching, like swapping out, not just like the origin party members, but, but, you know, people like Halstein, et cetera, who, who can, you know, come with you. um, Am I going to have enough experience in that sort of thing? But then there's so much content in this game that, uh, if anyone out there is worried about that, basically, where they're like, should I stick to like a main team? Um, you know, even within like the main party, everyone just kind of keeps getting experience regularly. So it's completely fine. Um, you don't have to worry about that. You don't really have to worry about missing out on experience points if if you never use somebody because they'll be ready for you. Um, and really. I would highly advise that anyone who's interested in, in trying out any character who ever joins, do it um if you can find like something that feels a little bit more like a side quest to get kind of in in the mood for them first and see what they're about that's great if not um like Brian was saying you know everything kind of feels so interlocked you never really know if it's a side quest or a main quest but do it because the enemy teams especially in act 2 and then and then in act 3 i feel like the enemy parties diversifying off or are just so good at certain things that the game kind of wants you to diversify your roster as well. There's only so much that like your character can do. There's only so much that a starian can do that. Suddenly having a drawing around would be really helpful. Um, and and one more thing. Um, there is a lot of um, narrative reason to try to help everyone you possibly can, not just from the constraints of I want to do everything in the game. But uh, later on in the game, there is definitely one of those moments where um, I have to be kind of vague, but it's one of those you really feel like the game's patting you on the shoulder for having helped a lot of different people out and, and you feel that narrative weight. So, um, yeah, players go everywhere, help everybody. You'll see Halston later. You'll see a lot of other people later and they may interact in really great, memorable ways
0: part of me is like well what if i want to be an ass and kill people but yeah um i do see that there there is a lot of benefit to that that's the kind of that's kind of like the tricky thing with these games is like how do you make the 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 renegade route just as compelling as the as the paragon route but um one thing i was going to say is i didn't i struggled a little bit in act one specifically with there's a very early quest that was this this quest was pretty much entirely implemented Way back in early access, so I had first played this quest three years ago with the anti aunt, Ethel and the kidnapped, um, the kidnapped woman trying to revive her dead husband. And yeah. in that area, I first went to that area because I was just like randomly wandering around the map and ran into this. And I, I was like two levels under level. Then that's a lot in this game. That's a lot, a lot. And I was like, man, I'm struggling a hell of a lot. So in Act One, it's one of those things where you kind of have to do the. Almost kind of like the Elden Ring thing where it's like if you're not strong enough to go there, just turn around and come back. Like you you can do that. And then in, in act two, I found that once you have like your full party, you're you're reaching like levels six, seven, eight, nine, and you're actually feeling a lot more stronger. You kind of have your like you you're you know the strategies that you want to implement, and you might just straight up be overleveled, but it, it gets a bit easier. Where in act one you have to say, like I am not strong enough for this yet, or I do not have a character that would make this easier. Let me return when I'm stronger. Um and there's there's two other things to kind of keep in mind is one of them is more obvious. And one is less is that there are a few places where the game will explicitly say, hey, you're entering a new region. Do you want to make sure you kind of wrap up any loose threads here before you proceed? And for most of us, that's going to be yes. For some people, they might not care as much. and will just say, well, OK, I'm, a, I'm fine just leaving it. But also, if you're doing a quest, it might not explicitly say this, but a quest might be. In, in a way timed and there's been a few uh i forget if it was ign or or um GameSpot that, that put up a feature on this is that if you have a quest that says like hey you better help these people they're trapped or they're stuck or they're needed and they need rescuing and you decide to long rest right then you might open up your journal to be like oh it's too late they died <laughs> and i that actually i read into that there's a one of one of the antagonists that you meet very late in act one in the grim forge um is stuck under a bunch of rubble and I was like, oh, I'll get back to you. And I long rested. And then basically everyone in that area had cleared out because the, the cave in like the, the place collapsed and everyone was gone. I, and I took my journal and all these quests that I had outstanding were like saying it's too late. You missed your chance. So luckily I was only like a half hour past that point. So I'm like, all right, let me just reload a save. But it's just one of those things where you do have to be a little bit careful about nothing's timed in terms of like, you have to rush, but specifically just using long rests if you're in the middle of a quest that is like time sensitive i I read up on this a little bit i gather that it's not like it's not like there's really a lot of time passage sensitive things in the game it's more just like quest sensitive in terms of if if there's something immediately happening right now that you've entered a window where if you long rest it'll pass you by so yeah uh, you have to be careful about when you do it not necessarily how often you do it yeah I think, like, I think I think that I think the uh it was an i g n piece that put this up, and I think the example that larian gave was if there's like a building on fire and you're <laughs> just like, uh one second, I'm gonna take a rest, then that's probably not the smartest thing to do.
2: what I've found um i think the golden rule uh every time i I've booted up the game really um is and and this it's no more endemic than it is in this particular example. Um, if you're playing like a campaign and you know, your friend or your colleague or whatever is is the DM, if anytime you say something like, I'm going to do X in the middle of Y event, um, it, you you know, if you imagine it in real life, it's it's exactly like what Larry was saying. Um uh, you know, if you say, Oh, okay, so there's some people dying inside that building and we have a limited chance to get this guy out or whatever. Um, and the DM says, what would you like to do? And and you say, well, I think we better get our spells in order. Let's go to sleep for the whole night. Um, in most games, I think a lot of us come into this thinking that's completely OK. You know, I mean, Final Fantasy seven years going to hit the world in a few days. Let's go breed some chocobos, that sort of thing. That's like
0: yep. <laughs>
2: that's where I come from. <laughs> you know? um, so I, I was very fortunate. I didn't even realize most of this like, the, the resting mid-quest thing until that piece came out. I was like... Although now I'm kind of wondering if I, I screwed something up and didn't realize it, you know? Um,
0: and on that note, screwing something up, I have seen plenty of people compare some of the... Uh, this is less combat-focused and maybe more situation-focused. Com- compare some of the events and quests and things that go on to Disco Elysium, especially in- when you incorporate, like, the dice roll things, where sometimes you people enjoy like rolling with the failures like, Oh, I tried to do this thing and I rolled a two and it didn't work. And you have a, there's kind of an inherent, you know, almost like desire to, I need to reload and pass this check, but there's also sort of this enjoyment, if you know, things don't exactly go as you planned, as you expected, either just due to the behavior of the characters themselves or to to some bad roles that didn't go your way. Uh, I've seen people make that comparison to Disco Elysium. We're just like, well, that happened and now I gotta deal with it. I wish I had that fortitude. I'm a a, I'm a I'm a little bit like, uh, I failed, I'm gonna reload. I don't reload all the time because usually you can kind of get what you want otherwise. But like sometimes, for instance, in the shadow area, you um you come across like this blighted bartender who's just like drink Mm -hmm. tell me the stories of your conquest and you look at your mug and it's like this vile putrid caustic acid and (laughs) basically basically it's like you can saving throw and like just drink it and deal with it you can sleight of hand and you like pretend to drink it and see if you can fool them or you just say to hell with it and attack them i'm like you know what i want to drink this blighted corpse under the table uh so like i did reload a few times to get through um (laughs) And then I didn't get really any, get really anything for it, except I guess uh, it was the blighted person's name was like something Thorn um, and Lysel got an inspiration point for um, dealing with a it was like, it was something more like dealing with a uh, one of the Thorn family without raising oh. your blade or something like that. It was like, oh, I guess I I, I did manage that. Um so, so it was one of those things where it's like I was stubborn, uh, and I've also been stubborn like being a pickpocket. I ha- Last week, I did talk about how it's difficult to steal things in this game, and it still is kind of difficult, but I did basically learn that, and it, this might be a little bit obvious, but it worked different from some other games that I played, is that even if you successfully steal something, then you have to like run away and let like kind of like an invisible timer carry out before you return to the area, because otherwise they're going to be suspicious, suspicious of you. Yeah. Even if you successfully stole, so one of those things where you steal a couple items, then you um, kind of got to run away, let things like cool down, and then you go back and steal a few more items and run away. And, and, and you mentioned maybe- this last week. There are a couple of games. I think I remember uh, Kingdoms of Amalur. Like as long as you're out of sight when you steal stuff, you can steal like buckets and hordes and p- mountains of stuff, and like no one like seems to notice. And it doesn't, it, it's, you know, as a game, it's sort of fun. You can just pile up everything. But it's like, how are people not noticing that I'm, like, robbing everyone blind?
1: Reminds so. me of uh, the old, like, Skyrim trick where it's like, you just grab a bucket, put it on someone's head, and then just steal <laughs> the entire place blind. Oh,
2: yes, that sounds familiar. Yeah. I was just thinking that. The video, especially with... um the the merchant in uh in what is it uh, the first town oh my goodness you know and, and, the, and you put the bucket on his head and you're just grabbing everything from from the cabin and he's just going everything's for sale my friend everything's you know <laughs> it's like you take the bucket off he's got nothing left <laughs> and you just walk away Baldur's Gate three is a gang it's that DM saying uh, no this person is sentient they're not going to let you do that
0: <laughs> you could still like I, there's been a few places where there's a shop owner there's no one else around. Where it's a it's you I I boost up my sleight of hand skill I steal not their items but they're like I'll buy some items from them and then I'll just steal the money back so you can okay. like it is still if you're if you're careful it it still can be broken but it's not as easily yeah. it's not as easily broken as in other games where you don't even need to try that hard this one you yeah. do at least have to kind of like plan and build for it and then and then you're good to go. I also am, like, I remember when I was playing Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, a few years ago at this point, that the fact that Baldur's Gate 3 was entirely turn-based, I even talked last week about how, when I played the Pathfinder games turn-based, it was so slow, and I hated it. Here, though, like, maybe it's because I don't have any other option, but, like, I have really actually enjoyed the combat. Like, I've... The fact that it's turn-based, I, it's not even something I really think about. It just it fits the game, and people are saying that's not true Baldur's Gate. This is just Larian putting Baldur's Gate on a, on, on a Divinity Game skin or whatever. Baldur's Gate games aren't turn-based. But I don't know. I'm playing this, and I really just I don't end up thinking about it. Like It makes sense. It fits the game. I, I, I don't really wish it was something else that it wasn't. I will say, though, that I did try playing this game on a Steam Deck. Cause I was thinking, like, I might not always be at my computer. What if I'm away? What if I'm at my girlfriend's house? Let me try putting it on my Steam Deck. And then I tried playing it for five minutes, and maybe I'm just dumb or a boiled frog, but I cannot get used to controller input on this game. I need a keyboard and mouse. I'm like, nope, I need a I need a I need a keyboard and mouse. Like I can't play this on Steam Deck. Not because it doesn't run or isn't compatible, but because I just can't get used to uh playing this sort of game with a with a controller.
2: Yeah, let me say um before before I say this that uh to be clear. Um the the controller input I know was I think going through its like final passes ahead of the PS five launch, uh when the review copies came out. So, you know, they kinda there's like, you know, Larian's kind of like, uh, if you could, you know, stick with the keyboard and mouse because it's not entirely quite there yet, which so I in my review I didn't really talk about this, but I did I did mess around uh with my Xbox controller on it to try it out, you know, to see where things were at and that sort of thing. And For walking around, like, I mean, this isn't too surprising when you're walking around the overworld, it feels great because I'm just, you know, pressing the stick like I would in just about any game. One thing that I, I, it feels like my fingers were a little too jumpy or the controller was a little too jumpy for the UI for the game. I don't know if like you've experienced this at all with the Steam Deck, but like it seems like. It's hard to explain, but a lot of the actions could have used one more little button press before you do it. Like if you press several buttons on on the controller, at least in the version that I've been playing, which I'm pretty sure is, you know, the launch version. So it's fine. Like. I just like end my turn in the middle of a battle. And, and if there's like one game, you don't want to like do nothing with a character's turn in. <laughs> it's a <Yeah>. three because <laughs> you just stand there and you just get hit, you know, <laughs> Um so yeah, like I, if anybody out there is like you know getting because I, I can't speak to the PS5 version, no one can. It's it's not out yet. Um, but like if anybody's thinking like let me try the controller uh, on the PC version, just keep your fingers a little further away from the face buttons than <laughs> you usually do because it's like you breathe on that controller the wrong way and suddenly Asterion's dead. I don't know what's going on.
0: And like I'm sure those because uh, I didn't play the console ports for. Pillars of Eternity. I didn't play the console ports for Divinity Original Sin 2. Um, Actually, actually I did play the console port for Divinity Original Sin 2 at like E3 2018 or so. And... um, It's one of those things where like, I bet if I forced myself to learn it, it would be fine. Or if you had already played those games on PlayStation or or console and then you're going to Baldur's Gate 3, it'll probably feel fine. For me, it's just not what I'm used to. So I think it's more... uh, a skill issue, I'll put it that way for me. So I did see other people talk about, like, wishing there was a confirmation, like, do you want to end your turn? And to me, I think that's, like, I bet you that's something Larian addresses is like, hey, you still have an action point. Do you, are you sure you want to end your turn? Uh, or at least make that a toggle just in the options, like, turn, turn yeah. confirmation or not. And I think that'll go a long way for that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So obviously, since we're in a place where we're kind of reviewing the game in in a place where like i said not from a place of any sort of journalist privilege where everyone else is already playing the game it's out and at least on pc um one thing that i have seen from some other people is like yes mechanically the game is very strong for for a game of its ambition it's quite polished it's very very like it's very very pretty for a game of its style um, like the fact that it can kind of toggle between the isometric view and the like, like the third person view when you're in cutscene, and still look good is not something that you take for granted because there are other games like, for instance, the Pathfinder games and the Pillars of Eternity games, where all the dialogue is through the text boxes and you get a little portrait. And if you had swung that camera down to get close to the models so that you can actually view up rather than down onto the playing field, like I have no idea how that would work. But here, the fact that they can do that and you can like navigate inside of a building with multiple levels and do it pretty easily and without a lot of like ux headache is a testament to how much time has gone into this game but i have seen people say that they weren't really impressed with the overarching story so i'm not at the end i'm not sure we really want to get into like spoiler territory maybe not Mm -hmm. quite yet maybe we'll save that for like end of the year stuff but when i was playing this game like the story kind of progresses slowly in terms of a of a main plot, but I actually kind of like that. If it allows, like you to hear about uh, a small number of, event, of events from several different perspectives, and the game actually takes the time to like allow allow yourself to immerse yourself in. The goings-ons about whether it's the tiefling refugees early on or um kendrick thorne and his his position in the in the cursed battlefield and how that relates to the um balthazar and the cathedral of char and things like that where if it was moving too fast where it feels like it was covering too much ground too quickly and it was just superficial like sure that would have been like a quicker like more blockbustery, um you know cinematic plot i actually kind of really like that this plot is actually quite Quite metered in terms of how quickly you progress through the narrative.
2: Yeah, I um, I've I've seen some expressions of like kind of eh on on the main plot too, and and definitely pacing is like a big thing that I've seen. And you know, I I I'm I'm with you on that. Like, I I think one of the things, and it's it's very cliche to say, but uh, one of the things that for a long time a lot of like you know really bigger budget RPGs uh we're we're pushing was you know okay well we have to keep things we have to keep better momentum going we don't want things to feel like they're lagging like old RPGs used to do and i'm i'm not really even thinking of any specific examples so it's not like i'm i'm avoiding saying them but like there's just kind of like a a, a broad progression you know for a while of like of just i it, some developers would say like cut the fat and i think for some games and and certainly for plenty of RPGs that makes sense and it works but when you have a world as intri- intricate as as Larian gets to play with, with uh, Forgotten Realms, like, you know, it's, it's not going to please everybody in the world uh, to have this approach. But for me, at least, I really love exactly what you said about how you really get to immerse yourself in that setting. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of uh, CRPGs historically have have been kind of known for, at least, you know. In my personal experience, when I played Bulgars Gate one and two, I felt downright immersed in the setting. Uh Pillars of Eternity, I felt the same way. Divinity, original sin. Um, so I, I feel like it would be a little disappointing if the plot went faster. <laughs> Even if I can see how sometimes like it's gonna it's gonna strain people's patience a little bit. Um, I do think from where you've gotten at this point, Brian, would you agree that um a lot of the the table setting feels appropriate, and now you're seeing, like, bigger things happening, because I think it was around, like, the middle of Act 2 where, like, a lot of things started to come into sharper focus.
0: Yeah, like, Act 2, right around when you meet the last light in, it kind of feels like an inflection point, where everything of that, you, your main conflict in Act 1 is the goblins versus the druids and the goblins are like almost like this mindless horde where it doesn't feel like, like they're, they're following this absolute cult and they're like, you don't really have a good feeling for like why you should care. Like for a first antagoni- antagonistic faction, the fact that they're all just a bunch of goblins, it's not like it doesn't, I never really felt threatened or like, wow, this is actually like a, an imposing force. But then when you get into last light um, and the cursed battlefield, if it all of a sudden starts to feel like, oh, okay, that's how that ties into this, and I already mentioned how you have characters that you've already met and helped reshowing showing back up, in addition to new characters. So, and even like the there's like there's like several quests where it'll say catch up with this character once you reach Baldur's Gate. So I haven't I haven't reached Baldur's Gate yet. I assume that's Act Three. Um, mm. So the fact that the game focuses on kind of it's kind of it's kind of a strange mix, but it works really well. The plot moves. I don't want to say slowly but like deliberately but the cast the number of like named characters that you interact with on on an actual like more than just a superficial basis like they're not npcs uh in in the terms where they're they're not just occupying space like well some of them are like you'll, you'll be in the last light in and they'll have like generic names like harper milfred or harper harper um george and and they're yeah. they're just they're just characters where if you speak to them little they'll, they'll just give you a little bit of a chirp of you know what they feel about the the current situation but there's a there's a a large number of characters that you will interface with on multiple quests, and I think the fact that the main narrative doesn't move a mile a minute is kind of what allows you to do that where you'll help like the 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 thiefling uh oh, sorry tiefling little there's like a little um Kid, like gang, they're like eight, nine year old, like thieves and petty, uh, petty, like tricksters and things like that. And early on, you can kind of, um, either be nice to them or say, like, hey, I don't have time for your shit, you know, get out of my way. And then later on, like, I was nice to them, and then that paid dividends, you know, when I met them again because they're missing their leader. And I promise, okay, I'm going to find your leader for you. Um, if the game moved a mile a minute, that would have been like, oh, that was an Act One story. I'm in Act Two now, and that's something that I think Larry and actually struggled with. And like, it's I, I haven't played Divinity: Original Sin one since like 2017, but if I remember in that game, the very first act, you're in the city of oh, I'm going to forget the name, Cyril, um, Cecile, Cecile, that's it, and yeah. that that city is incredibly dense. You spend like 20 hours in it easily, and then you go to like Act Two, Three, Four, and it's pretty much all just combat. There's no, like, you never slow down. You just, you have your party. You just go, if, if it's a red dot, you go kill it. And that's kind of it. And like, that game feels like a snowball going downhill where you, you kind of get through like the questy bit and then you're like, all right, it's all combat from here to the end. And I, I'm exaggerating a little bit, mostly. Where Baldur's Gate 3 doesn't really feel like that. You have moments where you're going to do a bunch of combat encounters and then you might spend four hours not really fighting a single thing. So I really like that variety. And I really, I really like the pacing. In that sense, from both a narrative and gameplay perspective.
2: Yeah, I was surprised. I didn't I wasn't aware going into the game um, how relatively late into the game, the the titular city of Baldur's Gate three would would, you know, come into effect and and suddenly be traversable and all that. Um, But I really looking back, the more I think about it, the more I like it. And that's true
0: to Baldur's Gate one, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um it it feels appropriate when you bring it up that way too but um it, it felt like there was such a journey to the place that when i first heard the words baldur's Gate 3 i and everyone else thought of which is baldur's gate you know like i felt so accomplished and like the snowball that you mentioned was was kind of going up and building you know and right. like at, at the, the pillar you know, there's the city, and I don't want to like sell the city as like the best thing in the universe, but it, it's a really cool place. But like, um, yeah, it's just the 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 deliberateness like of the pacing. I think Larian nails, at least for my enjoyment, like my tastes. I wouldn't want it to go any faster than it does.
0: Also, the game is, uh, in my opinion, is just like really beautiful. Like for 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 a game with an isometric perspective. They did not need to go as hard as they did, but they did. Just the lighting, um, just how lived in everything looks like. There's skulls on the ground, like the tile works all cracked and worn, or there's there's blood or viscera everywhere. Uh, or or you're in an area like the grove where it's not that, where it's just like, you know, flagstone and overgrowth and things like that. Just, it's a really pretty game. In my yeah,
2: opinion, it, it definitely is. What what is it? I think they're on the. They're calling the engine Divinity 4 engine. I I hope I'm not slaughtering that. Um, I'm actually not
0: sure. Like if you ask me what engine this game's built on, I'm like, I actually don't know. Uh
2: uh-uh. yeah. I'm I'm the, I'm not the best person in the world, so whoever's listening, don't take that for me. I'm look it up yourselves. But I think like whatever it is, I, I think the point I was trying to make was like they've definitely, like, as a studio wearing his iterate iterated and iterated in so many different ways, and it's just so cool that we have this isometric CRPG, you know, throw all those trendy terms in there and then you can zoom in and it looks so beautiful so frequently.
0: Well, I think with that, uh, we might kind of put a pin in Baldur's Gate 3 discussion there. I have That's- one more thing I wanna say. Okay, go ahead. I-, I feel like one of the great things about RPGs in general and the reason why we write for this site is that, and I hope I'm not diminishing other genres, but RPGs especially, they are very multifaceted games. There's a lot of different components to these games, and different people who play games, they latch on to different things. So all over Twitter, you see a lot of people who are really interested in the characters and the romance in this game. But there's, you know, which is honestly, there's been a long time since we've had an RPG that has this that sort of like romantic you know, component to it, mm-hmm. so that's totally fine and good. But then there's a lot of people who just really like the RPG systems, the rules, the or the D and D nature of it, the classes, the tactical elements to it, choosing dialogue choices, you know, exploration, all these sorts of things, um, the narrative elements, the questing elements. And some people might f- care more about more about that and maybe less on the characters, which I think is where I land right now. Although I haven't really been introduced to the characters yet. And I feel like Baldur's Gate 3, based on what I'm reading, I'm reading opinions from a lot of different people who are enjoying the game, but not necessarily for the same reason. It's just that it seems like it's a very well put together, dense game with multiple avenues of appeal, depending on what you're looking for. And I just think that's one reason for its success, seemingly, so far, is that it kind of has sort of this broad appeal without just without just sort of um like trying to like appeal to some sort of common denominator because it's just so dense and so you know multifaceted. So multiple, i, I just multiple think, avenues of appeal is a good way to is a good way yeah. to word it. Just now
2: to, don't mind me we, I'm I'm adding that to my review since we haven't started yet no I'm kidding but I totally
1: agree with you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like um this is kind of a weird random example but on my timeline right now um one second here. Are you like booting up the Look, game to like? Are you booting up the game to like read, read something out of a log? this is just a one. This is just a random opinion from a random person I follow. I'm dying to find more time to play Baldur's Gate three. Two hours in, and I'm and I'm loving it. I'm precise. It's precisely what I want an RPG to be. I hate feeling like I'm on I'm on rails going from A to B, or I'm in a glorified dialogue box advancer. Give me systems and rules. Give me meaningful choice and give me interaction. So that's just like one example. Uh, not a glorified someone's... dialogue box <laughs> advancer. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so that's just not everyone might agree with that, or that might not be the things that everyone cares about, but I just think that this game has been in that, has been put in that position that it can have that sort of appeal, that those quote, multiple avenues of appeal, I guess. So, oh, that reminds me about something we talked a little bit about last week, but I will bring up since we have Quentin here now. You talked about how, like, it has, like, it's a series of rules in terms of, if a spell makes you charm another person that you can use that in combat, or you can use it like in a dialogue and the game will actually say like, Hey, in order to pass this check, if you want to cast this spell, that's in your repertoire, you can do this. Like one of my character spells uh, is to make themselves larger, which gives them a bonus to strength. So whenever I'm doing a strength based ability check, I don't have to remember like, oh, I better cast this and then interact with the thing. The game will be like, hey, you have this. Do you want to use this? And that yeah. that I think is something that this game has done that other similar g- games in a similar space have not done. Uh, and like, for instance, another very, very basic one that Adam, you'll run into very early on is um, Shadowheart has a ca- cantrip called Guidance, which just gives you a 1D4 bonus to any ability check. A very basic cantrip. And like, so whenever she's in your party, the game will pretty much always give you the option to use that in the dialogue role with the dice. You don't have to remember to cast it, pre-cast it or whatever, um, like some sort of gambit. It'll just give you the option. And I think that's also another thing that helps. Like, Not only does the game give you a large number of tools, it makes it convenient to use without having to like refer to spreadsheets or wish that you had gambits um, or things like that. And that also reminds me of something that I forgot uh, from last week is the game has like these little like crevices or holes that your character can't fit through because they're too big yeah. and i was yeah. wondering like what how do i do this you, you, i can't shrink you know or i have a spell that does shrink but that doesn't work how else can you do this and then my uh the warlock that you get in the party uh, i eventually taught him the spell gaseous form and that allows him to go through it and i'm like of course gaseous form <laughs> <laughs> that allows him to go through those uh so the, and it's the game, really in the game and the game kind of clues you in that you can do that uh, and that one a little bit less so, but just so. <laughs> but but the thing is, is that like whenever you're um kind of setting out your spell book or you know memorizing your spells, about half of them are combat focused, but about half of them are not. Like, that's the sort of game this is. Like, it's not always just pick the highest one that has the highest gear score or whichever one has yeah. the biggest numbers for damage, it's like it could be useful. To have your warlock always have speak to animals on them so that if you run into an animal, you can speak to it because that might give you another quest or, or whatever, or raise the dead or speak to dead. Um, so like I, the way I actually have it set up is I have Gale, the wizard, mostly set for doing combat because they learn a huge number of spells, but then I have my warlock, has a few like combat spells, but I, I gave them like uh fly and invisible and speak to animals and speak to dead. Like I, I'm giving them like all the in gaseous form, I'm giving that yeah. warlock all like the little like. of like the little tool set where it's like i almost always have them with me now because who knows if i'm going to need any of those how do i get there oh it doesn't matter i can just misty step (laughs) or whatever um so that's always something that i've really enjoyed just not only because it's not only combat but it's exploration and the fact that you can like leap and, uh, you know, there's I wouldn't call it platforming, but it's kind of like isometric platforming in a way. Uh, it actually kind of fits the game pretty well. Like, how do I get over there? Oh, maybe I can leap or maybe I can um, dimension door or maybe I can misty step. Uh, so things like that.
2: There's a lot of fun to be had with those um, uh, as you get into like litter areas too. There's so many instances where like, if I was playing any other game where I hadn't been trained yet to think like, how do I get over to here? I would just assume that I couldn't unless maybe it was like a Zelda and I had like a hookshot or something. Any other game, I would just be like, well, I can't get there. But by the time like you put enough hours into Bulgars Gate three, you realize, generally speaking, the answer is yes. How? And then, again, that's kind of like the, the DM thing. And I was thinking about, you know, how you were saying um, like guidance will pop up uh, whenever Shadow Hearts in your party. It kind of it's like a lot of games of this this ilk you know they have this massive extensive toolbox and it's so cool that all those mechanical contraptions are in there but like you have to open it up and you have to like at least my memory is not the best i'll just i'll say that you know so like i have to kind of like think um Oh, no. Oh, no. What do I have? Do I have anything that'll work like this? Oh, gosh, I should be remembering this. Whereas like whenever the game's UI like brings up that little guidance thing that you can click on uh, with Shadowheart. It's like it's like you still have that toolbox and it's still just as intricate, if not more so. But at least it's kind of more like a glass display case so I can look through it and say, oh, right. I, I I have that. Thank you game for reminding me because at some point I would have forgotten. And it's just it's so cool and it rewards you in all these different ways. And then like with gaseous form, there are, of course, those other things where the, the glass is a lot more uh, uh, not so <laughs> clear, but it feels great when you figure it out.
0: And like one thing that I haven't done much of at all is like since I've been mostly a good person. Like in, in the game, like I haven't really had to be that like cunning or stealthy, but using abilities like just sleep or charm person or whatever to like sneak around to camp. I'm, I'm curious to see like what people can accomplish doing that um, in terms of like, how do I get to this area that's off limits? Well, did you try putting the guard to sleep? You know, things like that, which I have not really bothered to do that because I was just trying to find another way in or I just go mm-hmm. invisible. But I'm curious to see just in general, like. Oh, you of course, of course, you can just use this tool in this order to accomplish the same thing. Why not? I'm like, oh, I never really thought of that. I just did this other thing that was either, in some cases, much more straightforward, or some cases like, oh, that was really hard. Why'd I do it that way? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I love it when you get like a critical success on something and like, you know, whatever the the modifiers were for how well you would succeed to get to that hidden area or whatever it is. Like we'll say, like within a a conversational context, you're trying to get to some place you're clearly not supposed to be. There's this place in Act 3 where like I I basically rolled up and it was like the the very image of there's no reason in hell why this character should let you through. (laughs) And um. You know, I, I had this huge, huge score and all that. and then Aerator's just like somehow you convince the guard that you were just boring here. <laughs> <And you laughs> Troll right on him. <laughs> and it's well,
0: like, okay. uh, well, it's kind of it's kind of like a like a GM like in a game where uh, it's like, all right, this is a risky roll. Like I'm not going to let you in unless you score twenty, and then you score twenty. I'm like all right, now I got to somehow just allow it <laughs> because you scored twenty. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the, the the opposite's true too, because like a if, uh, a critical fail is a critical fail. So you could be like, all right, you're gonna get plus you know forty six on this roll. You're you're pretty much guaranteed to clear it unless you do a critical miss and then you miss. Yeah. It's like damn it, <laughs> like you just you 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 are completely built for this, but you like trip on your way there. That they're like, oh, we can't let you in.
2: <laughs> I critical missed talking to that squirrel in Emerald Grove. I got like a one, and you know, like there's—I don't know—like there's the squirrel, and and it's you know, it, it basically treats this little block of, of land like its territory, and you can get stuff from it by like you know, telling it to chill out, basically. And I rolled along, and it was just like the squirrel looks at you so menacingly; you better leave.
0: <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm yeah, done. Right, I'm <laughs> I do like the idea, like Adam mentioned earlier, of doing not quite an Iron Man run, but like a. A fixed dice run, I guess, I guess a true tabletop run where, well, outside of using inspiration points, because that's what they're built for, but no reloading saves, no F5, F8, just like if you get a critical miss on something that you would have clearly passed with any other roll, then that's that, you know, them's the breaks you got to go on. So I'm, I don't have the fortitude to do that on my first playthrough, but I can see it on a second playthrough just being like, well, let's see how I figure this out.
2: Yeah, make sure you turn off the karmic dice if you do. Is that something that we've talked about it all. Um, Are you familiar with it? It's like a, an option in the game settings called karmic dice. That's enabled by default. Um, It's this thing where like, uh, and you can disable it. Thankfully Um, I, I did personally. I mean, it's a matter of taste, but like if it it, it prevents players from like having like a comically long, potentially frustrating string of negative roles. And conversely um, it sort of levels the playing field a little bit by preventing them from having a, comically long string of of positive rolls um so i i think a real iron man playthrough of this you would turn that off and if heaven forbid you roll like 10 critical fails in a row well hopefully you're uploading these to youtube because people are going to have fun watching you fail i guess I, I
0: remember i remember learning about that in the in the marketing or the pre-release but i had forgotten about it and for i i i if it's on, if it's on by default i assume i have it enabled but i'm like all right i'll just keep it like that for now but yeah if you're doing a true you know go by the dice then yeah i can see turning that off mean like all right if i fail 10 times in a row that's that's how it is
2: live by the dice die by the dice yeah there
0: you go so yeah we've been talking about Baldur's gate 3 again for an hour and this is after a pretty lengthy discussion last week so we'll probably kind of put a pin in it there um thank you so much quentin for coming on to talk about Baldur's gate 3 and of course based on um once your review goes up, it should hopefully be pretty soon. By the time anyone's listening to this podcast, it might already be up on the site at rpgsite.net. But by all by all um by all accounts, it seems like this will be a game we will definitely be talking about again once we get to the end of the year cuz it looks like it's got really strong word of mouth. We're all thinking pretty highly of it so far. You have finished, we haven't quite yet, um mm-hmm. but very certainly going to be contending at the end of the year.
2: It won't have a low score. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There was one other game that released in early August. This is a game that we kind of jokingly teed up last week uh, for a couple different reasons. This is uh, an open world RPG from Deck 13, and this is Atlas Fallen. So this is a game that I'm on record early in the year stating that I was kind of pretty excited for. I always try to find like a quote unquote double A game. In the marketing that I want to make sure I like circle on my calendar and give time for because I think it has a good, you know, good ideas, or I, I really like the pedigree of the developer. And Atlas Fallen, I really just like the vibe of it, which I know is like what is a vibe, whatever. Um I just thought it was something where I like the 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 theme, the premise, the art style, the the early marketing, even though it was a bit scattershot in terms of like the initial release date in May and then immediately delaying it. Uh I was kind of excited to try this one. Um I know that Adam has played it. I have played it. Josh has played a preview of it. Quentin, have you played Atlas Fallen? Yeah,
2: I've uh, okay. finished it.
0: Okay, so I don't want to color anyone's um, uh, co- perception here, but the the thing uh, how that's about a I pro- jump in because I reviewed it. All right, go ahead, Adam. Good, good call. Right. <laughs> so I reviewed it. Uh, I have a review written on the site, and. So I played the Surge games, which so the, the developer of Atlas Fallen is Deck is Deck Thirteen. They're based in Germany. They had a couple of games in like the the two thousands, but the first game that really put them on my like radar, in, in terms of just being aware, just awareness, was um the first Lords of the Fallen that they made with CI Games, and then after that they made the the games called the Surge. There's the Surge and the Surge Two, which all three of those games are souls-like games and i played both the surge games and i thought both were thoroughly okay they had rough edges they weren't you know super high budget uh not super polished but they were both good enough that i was like all right i will keep an eye on this developer put a pin in it and so their next title after the surge 2 which released a couple years ago now 2019 um, is Atlas Fallen. Now, Atlas Fallen is not a Souls-like. It is more open-world action RPG, more traditional action RPG in an open-ish setting. And, you know, kind of like Brian, I'm just like, you know, everyone's always excited about, like, the AAA big, big releases. Like, you know what? Maybe this, maybe there's something interesting here, even if it's lower budget or whatever. And I'll, I'll start with the positives. So Atlas Fallen's key defining mechanic... Its key component that sets it apart is its combat system. And Josh talked about this in his preview. It's called a momentum system. And not to get too much into mechanical weeds, but the basic idea is is that when you start a battle, your abilities, your parameters, what you're able to do is a little bit restricted. And then the more into battle you are, like the more attacks you do, the more attacks you take. Um, the longer the battle drags on, your weapons gets more powerful, literally get bigger, and you get more and more abilities, more and more passives and that's why they call it momentum is that you kind of start out at rest if you will, and then it kind of progressively kind of you know ramps up from there in my review. I sort of uh likened it to you know if you're in a race car hitting the you know the gas pedal, you start at rest, but you slowly you know get to racing speed, hitting different gears along the way. And so I thought this was pretty interesting. And the game, I think, does a pretty good job making it so that ramp up doesn't feel like it's too tedious to like start at rest every time, to use my analogy. And I just thought this was sort of an interesting system that I hadn't really seen before to kind of keep the mechanics, you know, engaging and flowing through the game. And that was probably the part of the game that I was most positive on. But there are some weird things around it um let me go back or let me kind of flip to the other side here i don't think this game's story is anything good at all it's honestly just really rote it's really stuff you've seen before and so if you're the type of person who really needs like a narrative hook to latch onto, this game doesn't have it unfortunately there's just nothing there it's very trite um long story short it's like good god versus evil god and it's just it's done before and yeah, they, they actually do like the order versus chaos thing. Which yeah. Is it's of... order versus chaos, which is yeah. like, okay, you, we've seen this. <laughs> like humanity is represented by represented by chaos because humans are, you know, unpredictable, but that's beautiful. You've, you've heard it before. Um, <clears throat> and the law of God is like, you know, sterile and over ordered and, you know, too demanding and, you know, they're the bad God, you know, anyways. Um, the open the, the game doesn't have especially good presentation either it doesn't look very good some of the character models are are pretty low quality um it's you know and it's obviously not a triple a game so i try not to be too harsh on it but it i feel like some of the aesthetics the brown sandy dustiness of it kind of gets a little old uh even though that's sort of the point set in a desert but it's just not a very visually interesting game. The story isn't very interesting. The open world is okay. I actually thought it was better than Forspoken, but that's not exactly a high bar. The game specifically or just the overworld? No, the world? overworld, the world. Okay. Okay. Um, it's a little bit more packed. It's a little bit denser than Forspoken. There's a little bit more verticality. So I'm like, okay, this world is okay. Like the actual design of the world that you're exploring. And I even said in my review... Uh, are scattered around the world. It's an open-world game. There are some side quests you can do. There's some, like, mini-events that are, like... You, there's these little puzzles you can do to to open chests and get equipment, get cosmetics. There's mini-events that you can do. Kind of feels, you know, something you might expect... might find in, like, an Assassin's Creed game, only on a much smaller scale. There is... There is, like, a sense... There, there is that sort of checklist satisfaction where there are 10 things to collect on the map and you're like, okay, let me find all 10. And it's small enough where it doesn't feel overwhelming like an Assassin's Creed game would, where it's like there are literally 200 events to do. It's not like that. Um, so I thought those parts of the game were okay. But, uh, but otherwise, like as a package, I honestly feel like this game was a step down from the Surge uh, titles that has the one really the interesting component of the momentum, which I think is genuinely pretty unique and novel, but it does, it's just not enough to hold up the game. And now let me just say kind of the one specific thing that I kind of feel like is a crutch or maybe even a failure in the game design is that the momentum system that is implemented in the game, that's again, you kind of start at rest and it kind of builds up as you prolong a battle. It works better against like groups of enemies rather than big enemies so like mini bosses boss type creatures um and i feel like the game sort of realized this so there's actually this sort of annoying tendency the game that whenever you're fighting like a bigger monster in the game it'll always summon smaller monsters to kind of annoy you as you're fighting the bigger monster and you'll see this constantly and it's just that sort of design is never really I've never really been a super big fan of it, and this game really relies on it. Where you're, there, anytime you're fighting any sort of boss or bigger creature, it always is summoning like three or four little minions to to annoy you. And so there's that sort of. It feels like they had to do that because of the way the game is designed, and it's just kind of like I don't really know if this is working out as well as it could have. So I hope that makes sense. Uh, you played it, right, Brian? So I hope it makes sense what I'm saying here. But yeah, I mean, I I always go to. I forget if it was Arkham Asylum or Arkham City where they didn't know how to do the final boss so no, it's just a it's, it's, just, a it's just a mook yep. fight. And yep. it feels like that only not only is it every boss but even just like larger creatures in the overworld will just summon mooks. Where like so imagine like Monster Hunter only um every single monster you fought like summoned little ones and some of them do like uh am oh, blanking what's the the death zombie dragon always summons like the little monsters uh but that's kind of like his theme but like imagine only every single monster you ever fought uh, valhazak that was the name only imagine every single dragon you fought summoned little dragons to fight for you every single time and not only that but you can't even really ignore them because they're kind of necessary for the momentum gauge but right, mm-hmm. yeah but you have but it's still like a real pain because like all right while i'm dealing with these guys the boss is just doing whatever he wants or even not even a boss might just be a regular monster um i i do agree with you it's Combat like the momentum feels good, but the the design of the encounters doesn't. Even though they're that's kind of linked that's basically a way. my conclusion in the review. Yeah, in in less words. Yeah. And really, yeah, like I like I said before, yeah. nothing about the story is really interesting. I wouldn't say it's like actively dreadful. It's just kind of like there's nothing to latch onto either meaningfully or superficially. It's just kind of like okay. And the the character that's with you, who I'm blanking on his name, partially because this game is very short. I beat it in under ten hours.
3: Yeah, uh, like I know, I know,
0: and I know that's not short for like some games, but like for an RPG that has like a pretty wide open world. It's just pretty short, and I don't know if that's good or bad. It wasn't, it was kind of nice to be able to finish a game in only 10 hours, but at the same time, like I didn't really latch on to anything. Like, in one year, out the other, like what happened? Yeah, there, there was a so you have the character that's attached to your gauntlet. It's basically like you make the forespoken comparison already, it's similar to that. So, this character that's in your gauntlet is basically the chaos god. Um, and they, uh, they have amnesia, but they always remember. Everything they need to, the moment it becomes relevant, like you'll be <laughs> in an area and it'll be like, "I, I think there's something here. You should remember. look for <laughs> it." And it's like, "Oh, so you happen to remember that?" Like the moment it becomes relevant, an um, anvil—it's
2: always an anvil—and he's just like, "Ah, oh, we can use this."
0: <laughs> but there's even some story bits where it's like, "Oh yeah, this person—they did." <laughs> this thing I had forgotten. But they tell you like the moment like where if they hadn't forgotten and they just knew that information, the story (laughs) delivery wouldn't have changed because he tells you it as soon as it becomes relevant. So it's just this weird like you know, we always talk. There's like that, you know, long, long-running joke with RPGs where they rely too much on amnesia. But here, it's like they have amnesia when it doesn't even like factor in, really. I guess it factors in a little because he doesn't really know like why he's in the gauntlet early on. So there's a little bit to it to give it some credit. But the way it's presented is just a bit silly, especially early on. Yeah, and I do agree with Adam that the the world is because it's not so over dense with question marks and things to do. It's one of those things where you could, quote, unquote, 100% this game, probably in about, what, 25 hours, 20 hours? Yeah, I I actually did do everything you can do in this game in 25 hours, which, you know, compared to several other RPGs is like nothing. And uh, the thing is, though, is that a lot of what you're rewarded for doing that exploration is that you mentioned how you can, like, on your momentum bar, um, put up these you mentioned it in your review i guess not on the podcast yeah. so as your momentum increases as this bar fills up from left to right it passes these nodes and these nodes are either passive nodes that say hey as soon as your momentum is this high now you steal life when you attack or now you deal more knockback when you swing or, or some of them are just straight up you deal more automatic you automatic parry yeah and then there's some that are active abilities where it's like all right, now that you've passed the second node, you can now do a hammer crush and like, you know, knock enemies prone. Uh or there's there's a ton of options, but the thing is is that I kind of found a set that just worked. And the game is like short enough and the ga- and the enemies are like similar enough that well there wasn't a lot of incentive to like shake it up. There's something like even I I did not 100% this. I was not completionist, but even I had like 20 different passive abilities, maybe like 16 different active abilities and i did not try any all of them out some of them i just read the tooltip like it eh, doesn't sound exciting so a lot of it is you are doing this like what's the what's the motivation for exploring the world it's like okay if i if i find all the towers in this place or i find the secret chest or i do this little puzzle it might unlock a skill that i happen to maybe like more than the one i'm currently using maybe I will say that when I was watching you play, the build that you ended up going with, even though you kind of got it and stuck with it, was pretty different than mine. So, you know, it's like, there's something to be said that, you know, play style variety is, there's a fair bit of variety there, but you are right in that not only once you find a, you know, kind of a combination of abilities that works for you, you're never really enticed to change it, but also you're actually sort of disincentivized to change it because, of how you have to like power up your skills. So long story short, I don't wanna get into the weeds too much. You can power up your skills, but you know, once you have like a, a skill that's powered up, you don't wanna change it to a skill that's not powered up and be like, all right, now I gotta power up this one when you don't really even know if you're gonna like it. So you kinda like, you you spend your resources once you get your build, making your build stronger that you're less and less likely to change it at that point does that make sense yeah it's oh. so you yeah. there's there's, there's yeah. a lot of opportunity cost to shake things up and yet that's how the game rewards you for exploring so it seems so what it means is exploring it, it, it doesn't feel overbearing but it also doesn't feel like you're really rewarded that well so i was like i had no problem just being like yep i'm just gonna critical path this and beat it and then i beat it in like under 10 hours so, so i think my i think my uh prevailing kind of like overall conclusion to this game is that it's it's kind of like one thing we didn't mention is that this game is fully playable in co-op which Mm -hmm. is pretty cool because you don't see too many of those i know we have baldur's gate which can be of course um but um we brian and i checked this out a little bit just like with any co-op experience it gets a little weird if like one of us is much further in the story than the other like how exactly does it Deal with progression and whatnot, but that's true for any co-op experience. But I would say, kind of, this is like the. I'm not trying to be too overly cynical or critical, but this game is kind of like perfect bargain bin, bargain bin material. In that, if you can buy this game for cheap, if it's on sale down the line, and you're willing to deal with you know some jank, kind of understanding this is a bargain bin game, and like play it with a friend. For a twenty-hour experience, fifteen-hour experience, there might be some enjoyment to be had, but it's nothing special. Quentin, <laughs> not- do you have any other like accompanying thoughts on your, uh, Atlas Fallen? Don't want to like color your color your uh, your thoughts if you were more positive or less positive on it.
2: <laughs> oh, I wish I could say I was more positive on it. I, I really wanted to uh, <laughs> like this game more than I did. I I, I agree that like the momentum gauge like the system itself the mechanic um that's something worth i'd love to see deck 13 keep that somehow and, and iterate on that um you know who knows if they will if they want to or anything like that um like it's not the most unique concept in gaming history or anything but the way that it's implemented if everything else in the game worked For it rather than sort of against it or around it in the case of like all the, you know, the small wraiths showing up with the big ones um, that you were talking about, then this could be something really special. I like how it's sort of like you're it's a tug of war almost against yourself sometimes because the the higher that it goes, um, the the more damage that you can take. But, you know, while you're out more damage, it's it's cool. I like that. I like that concept. But like like you were saying, um, like Adam, like everything. Sort of has to to keep in and tango with it so that all of these might have been cool, like elite wraiths, like the the big, you know, sort of monster hunter, like creatures. There's like a dozen of them or whatever. Um, They, they kind of like shoot themselves in the foot mechanically with that right off the bat because you just get so tired of fighting the little ones coming out because yeah. you need to build that gauge up. And yeah, and like, yeah. I think it's 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 hard to critique the the aesthetic too much because like you said it's kind of the point of like the setting that the world's all like sandblasted and all that but eh, i don't know like there are like little glimmers that uh, in later points like after the first region where i'll see something and i'll think if they leaned into that a little more if you put a few, if you planted a few more trees here or if we had like the lava thing going on a little bit <laughs> off to the side that might have been cool because it's it's just not enough and then yeah the story is um the whole time I was playing it, I was thinking because of damn Niall. Niles, the name of the guy, the, um, the gauntlet. Yeah. Whenever he's talking and stuff. Um, I just imagined living in this alternate reality where like, Forspoken was this huge hit and this game was <laughs> criticized for being like oh you're just a Forspoken like you're just a Forspoken like you're just trying to cash in on first even though obviously they were both in development you know like simultaneously like I, I wonder if someone at Deck 13 I'm i I'm sure I'm just being silly but someone was like that game that's the game you know it, it, it is,
0: there, is, there are it is weirdly like Forspoken like not only just the uh the uh the arm thing—that's obviously like a weird coincidence. You have a talking arm, but you know, kind of the game. Even like, there's some similarities in the world and the exploration and things like that too. So it's just—it's very strange. It feels like—it feels like uh, Forspoken at home, although Forspoken itself isn't really a great game to begin <laughs> with. <so>. Yeah, <laughs> I guess they're
3: it's not, this company sounds like a trend chaser, <laughs> or maybe they just so, had maybe. this idea at the same
0: time. You chased uh, that so fast. <laughs> yeah, they, they chased Forthboken in seven months or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like
2: somebody that, you know, everybody, the whole thing about like, oh, everybody's trying to be like God of War's reboot, you know, with all these different studios. Well, imagine if you were the lucky studio that just felt it in your bones the moment that that game was announced and you were just like, we're going to be God of War 2018 in like January 2019. Like, damn, yeah. you would sell well, unfortunately. Forspoken not a great game yeah so yeah I mean that's that's basically my contribution I wish I liked it more
0: well so that's Atlas Fallen and I guess that's a little bit of a reprise on Forspoken um not a terrible game not a long game so if you're just curious like it's it's, there's not a lot of opportunity cost in terms of you can play it be in and out in 15 hours see what you think um but nothing really that has a lot of staying power there unfortunately And those were the two major releases for August. Um, Obviously, Baldur's Gate got two podcast focuses and then Atlas Fallen. We finally got a chance to talk about uh, only for it to fall a little flat. So that's unfortunate there. With that, we will head into the news section Um, before we move on. So, Quentin, usually the news section takes us maybe um, 45 minutes or so, maybe half an hour. This one looks a little bit shorter. Uh, Are you able to stick around or did you need to uh, did you need to head out?
2: Oh, I don't mind sticking around. I don't know if I'll have any input, but if something feels really organic, I can chime in. Sure, yeah.
0: All right, yeah, we encourage it. So, uh, this, yes. we had a few announcements this week. Uh, we had a, some sort of THQ event that I think we all forgot about until it happened. Uh, so, we have a few announcements from there. And then we had the announcement that we teased up at the very end of last week. And that was that we had a scheduled event from Koei Techmo and Gust where the newest entry in the Atelier series was slated to be announced. And of course, we're coming off the well-regarded trilogy of Atelier Ryza. Um, just a couple of years back, we had the surprise sequel, Atelier Sophie 2. Um, we had the remake of Atelier Marie. So what what would a new Atelier game look like? Well, this is what it looks like. Gust um, Games and Koei Tecmo announced Atelier Rezleriana will launch for PC and mobile devices in japan this year as a free-to-play game
3: it's a gotcha game how sad
0: so yes uh, good the response to this game has been uh sort of amusing kind of funny in a weird way although there's some genuine people you know there's there is some genuine upset (laughs) uh around this because people you know even though we've already gotten two Atelier games this year, one being a new game in Rise of 3 and one being a remake, it's not too uncommon for this game, for this series to have like at least one game a year. Yeah. (laughs) So, but the fact that this game is kind of going the mobile route, kind of the mobile PC route, there's been comparisons to Genshin, which is also a mobile PC game, although that game also has, you know, a PlayStation version. Um, But, Yeah, definitely on our Twitter feed, people are not happy about this. And generally speaking, you know, I know a lot of people do like Genshin and a lot of people do like Honkai Star Rail. Um, Even though those games are structured as gacha games, we get there's a lot of noise whenever there's another gacha announcement. And this one is no exception. So one thing that's sort of interesting to note is that in recent years, when Koei Tecmo has announced games, like during Japanese events, The Western branch has been pretty quick in following up confirming localizations. This is true for like recent Atelier games like Blue Reflection 2, the Fate game. And just in this current day and age, usually those localization announcements come around pretty quickly, but not on this one. And, you know, that's interesting. Obviously, I don't know if we expected it being this game is sort of structured differently, but right now this game is not confirmed for the West. And it's one of those games where I can't, in most cases, I would say, like, it's definitely coming, but it's like, I don't know about this one. It's it's interesting. Or at least if it comes when, will it be right away, or will it be delayed? I don't know. Um, I, I
3: think the last one they have a mobile game, too, it was Japanese-only, if I
0: There I know like, there's an Atelier online. I don't remember who localized it, if anyone did. I, um, I don't know. It should be in of service by now.
3: I don't yeah. think it exists anymore.
0: Now, um, I know people have pointed out screenshots that show currency, and stamina, and those sorts of things. And the word gotcha. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we don't really know exactly how it's going to work. Uh, it's perhaps worth mentioning that when they announced this game, it is by Koei Techno's definition, mainline. I forget if it was, if they call it A24 or A25, I've lost count, but when they revealed the game, they put that little label on it that basically says this is the 25th Atelier game and it's this structure it might be 24 or 25 I, I i forgot but they 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 numbered it which by their definition is like this is a mainline game it's in our mainline list so that was we'll see
1: i <laughs> <You gotta laughs> wonder if that was a koei techno decision instead of a gus decision now because if like the previous like uh, atelier like mobile games didn't do super hot then it could just be a thing where it's like oh maybe people will actually give this one a shot if we say it's mainline even if
0: in practice not really Sometimes. looks like it is a 25 now when i'm when you're watching the trailer the trailer doesn't really show a lot of like combat if i remember correctly it's mostly showing like the different characters you you meet resler or i don't know what her nickname is going to be or and then there's like a, a girl with cat ears a guy with blonde hair and you know it looks pretty good and you know these games have get a, seem to get, you know, pretty, pretty, do, do pretty well with like the character designs and the character uh, art and whatnot. Um, but I guess, do we know how it plays? I guess maybe it doesn't matter. But anyway, I guess it's not, it wasn't immediately obvious that this was a mobile game when it's just showing all the different characters. But I don't know how it plays. And maybe that makes it more obvious. But. I think the main thing is that I think a lot of people, if this was just called a spinoff and didn't start a new character, I think people would be okay. But I, I think there's like this concern, like, oh, this is what Atelier is now. Like, no, that's, 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 you know, severe. <laughs> that's yeah. Severe. So,
3: well, yeah. I don't know. I think people just have bad experience with certain franchises that, went this route, and then they became forgotten and lost. Like, Breath of Fire 6, it's a mainline. I've
0: definitely seen the Breath of Fire comparisons, where they're like, (laughs) Breath of Fire 6 killed Breath of Fire, this game's gonna kill Atelier. It's like, okay, that's severe, but it's still, I guess it is funny to make that comparison. Um, Oh, it's probably worth mentioning that this game is, uh, it's worth mentioning that this game is, I think it's, like, co-developed between Gust and Akatsuki Games which does mobile games. I think they do the Romancing Saga mobile game and a few others. Um, so, you know, I don't know how often you usually get these other developers working on the Atelier series, but here's one of them. Yep, so that was announced. It'll be coming out this year that we don't know exactly when, but there's only, you know, five months left. And yeah, maybe disappointing for those that were wondering what was going to actually follow up uh, Ryza as a, like, single-player mainline game. But we'll see if Gus has more announcements in the future, or if this is what the game is going to be for next year, 2024, if it'll even get an official English version. But as of right now, yeah, Atelier, Resleriana, coming out in Japan this year. Heading over to some of the announcements from the THQ Nordic Digital Showcase. Uh, one of which this this announcement seemed like it got a fair bit of buzz because it had I, I believe this game has a uh, quite a, a kind of a cult following when it originally came out in 2006. Titan Quest, THK Nordic has announced Titan Quest Two coming out. or I guess it doesn't have an official release window, but announced for PC, PlayStation Five, and Xbox Series X and S. So I've always thought of Titan Quest as kind of like what if Age of Mythology. Was a Diablo like action RPG? Uh it's kind of funny that you say that. The person who kind of created that original studio worked on Age of Empires. Oh, okay. Um and I have not played Titan Quest. It got re-released back in like 2015 or 16 as like an HD version. Haven't played it. Um, uh, but I saw this announcement for Titan Quest 2 and there was a fair bit of buzz about it. And I, I think a yeah. lot of people were really interested in the idea of a sequel to this. Yeah, it kind of first of all, yeah, I I it's one of those games I've been I was aware of and heard of. But you know, didn't really know much about. But it seems like yeah, it was. It must have gotten a following. You know, in the mid two thousands, and it's gotten some ports and HD version and whatnot. But here's a true sequel to it. It sort of feels like the Jagged Alliance three thing, where it's you know, almost twenty years later, not quite. Uh, where you know this kind of cult classic game, let's say, THQ Nordic is like, all right, here is a proper sequel finally and there's a certain group of people who are really excited for it. Um I'm curious about it. I've never played the original, but like hey, isometric action RPG with some, you know, it seems like it seems to have a little bit of like an RTS builder sort of, you know, component to it. It's it's obviously set in like a Greek mythology sort of setting. Uh but no date. So no release window, but yeah, definitely seemed to be out of all the games that were revealed at this THQ Nordic event. That one was the one that got the biggest splash, it feels like. And you played Jagged Alliance 3 without playing the first game. Yeah, it's I like, like that. A... Yeah, so. The other thing that we got that's kind of potentially RPG adjacent that was announced at the digital showcase is that we got a mm-hmm. teaser trailer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, which supposedly is an action RPG based off the uh, graphic novel of the same name that is apparently being likened to the recent God of War reboot titles um this little teaser trailer is a true 20-day. teaser trailer like yeah, it's, yep. you know in the last 10 or so years sometimes certain games or even movies will title themselves as teaser trailers but they're really just a straight-up trailer. This one truly yeah. is a teaser trailer. It doesn't show anything. You do not see any hint of any turtles yeah, what anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> what it shows are four candles and, like, a loose headband. And the idea of the graphic novel is that three of the turtles and presumably Splinter are dead, like, literally dead, and there's one left. And they are the last Ronin. So this little last turtle. We know who it is in the in the graphic novel. Not the, the game may not follow the same one. I don't know. They might change it up for fun, but Damn. we won't it has say to be it here. As
3: Raphael.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's one of those games that it's being developed by Black Forest Games, who is also based in Germany, and they they actually did the uh, Titan Quest um remaster a couple of years ago. But like they don't have a huge pedigree, so it's sort of, you know, there's an unknown. Like, what is this going to look like, play like, how's it going to be?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I will I say think- also,
0: I said this, I said this when it was like originally sort of soft announced a couple months ago. It's sort of funny when they say an RPG like God of War, because we're sitting here saying like, is God of War really an RPG? Kinda, sorta. Then you get. T- lost in that quagmire of definitions and genres which we all love so chances Can are for this game it'll perfect. just chances are for this game it'll just be hey if someone on the site is really eager to play it they're a huge tmnt fan chances are we'll cover it but we won't like we won't treat it like you know an obligation unless if someone's well, obviously right now we don't really have anything to go off of other than what That's they say true, yeah so. And I didn't pay attention to the rest of the showcase, but um, those were the two things that I saw that you had uh, covered Adam. There were, so there be- was one other thing. They showed like a quick, little like, kind of a weird clip/ trailer from the Gothic remake. It's oh, I had that lower just... on our on our little outline here. yeah.: Oh, okay, sorry. Um, so I'm preempting you here, but it's just sort of like you're following kind of this like, I don't know, what's the word, like vagabond punk sort of guy in this kind of this dusty medieval grungy little town that's you know basically wood houses and muddy and whatnot and he's like stealing you know people's pockets and whatnot and then he gets his head bashed in because he got caught it's kind of weird um i've never played gothic the original i know people especially in europe from that time period the early 2000s are really fond of it i know that the demo that they did for gothic remake several years ago now Seem to have get mixed reception uh, in terms of what people were expecting from a remake. So when I see this trailer, it doesn't really register for me. I'm not saying I'm not interested. I'm sort of interested in this, but it's just, you know, it doesn't really show much. Well, remember a couple of months ago, maybe late last year, we had uh, the trailer where they were in like a mine. That was like was, yeah, last August, but think, it, 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 a year it, ago. it was almost more like an engine trailer where they were like just floating through I the mine. Waiting. Yeah. Check out the lighting, check out what's going on. This is sort of feels like it's in the same vein. And maybe it's one of those things where I don't think anyone here has played the original Gothic. Um, so we you don't on really. Twitch next month. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that weird announcement. Well, I, don't, I shouldn't say weird. I um, don't know where announcement, but uh, maybe there's something here where like if you've played Gothic, you're like, hell yeah, this, this I recognize this area. All these teases for us longtime fans. And we're just it's over our head. We're like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm interested in the gothic remake and I'm interested in playing the original gothic So maybe because just because I uh, I've I've enjoyed some of piranha Byte's other games obviously the remakes not being made by them nor the remaster um, but they played the original and Those that have played it Really speak highly of it though. It is a very specific like acquired taste of euro jank RPG So I'm kind of interested, uh, but maybe not as much as uh, I'm on the fringe interested. I'll put it that right. way like I, for both, yeah, for I'm both sure. the remaster or not, even, it's not even a remaster, a trade a port, and and the remake. That pretty much covers it for. No, actually, there is one more announcement. This is um, uh, stop me if you've heard this before. Uh, it's an indie souls like, slated okay. for next year. Yes, I uh, heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, try Trial Forge Studio and Tate Multimedia. Tate Multimedia have announced Deathbound which is slated to come out um on PC next year. It is marketed as a souls-like and the introduction trailer starts out with a like a cinematic uh like almost like 2000s era PC RPG cinematic f- followed by a little bit of like no UI cinematic gameplay footage. Um yeah, it's it's exactly how it sounds like I know I can't really describe it, you know, on a, in an audio format like this, but uh it's a, it's a grim dark indie souls-like called Deathbound, yeah, it's, which is yeah. a name that we're, we are cl- definitely going to remember because it's very unique. <laughs> I, I feel definitely ill at the moment.
3: <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't want to be
0: too cynical because maybe this game is good. You know, who knows? But it just... Sorry, we're just poking fun. Oh. at it.
3: Well, I mean, there's lots of stupid titles for video games. Oh, yeah. like, it's like I Square it's Enix is like <laughs> Infinity Undiscovery. What the hell does that even mean? What does Final even mean? I mean, come <laughs> on
0: it's one of those things where it's just like yeah we don't want to just be dismissive of it on its face right away but there's also just like not much to latch on to to be like this is the reason you should pay attention to this one and not the rest it's just okay you know we'll keep an eye on it obviously like one thing that i like to do is just keep like if we don't cover it as it releases once it release like What's the Metacritic? What's the Steam? Like the Steam? Hey. Like usually, if the game really latches on, like you see that overwhelmingly or very positive, you're like, oh, maybe this is something I actually should look into. Um, hey, we we put we put 30, 30, 40 minutes into Atlas Fallen. You know, we we'll take a look at these sort of. I know Atlas Fallen is not really indie, but these lower profile games. Boy, yeah. Awesome. So yeah, Deathbound coming out next year. uh You know, obviously we did kind of we were a little bit you know silly about it, but we'll keep an eye on it and see if it you know as its marketing ramps up into next year, uh, how much excitement there is for it and how it lands once it releases. And as we are wrapping up the marketing cycle for a game coming out late next month, that's the spin-off Fate Samurai Remnant. Uh, we got the opening animation was shared to um, Koei Tecmo's YouTube page, as well as more details on the last characters. I guess they know the full... Um, the full caster list the full servant list now master yeah like I, I i barely know fate but it's like we know the master servant list that yeah. sort of rings a bell just out of osmosis for the series yeah but instead of being a holy grail war they call it the um what the waxing, waxing moon something ritual yeah. yeah because it's got like the same framework as the other fate kind of framework but just in this in this new um spinoff kind of terminology is the is the i, had, I did not watch this opening animation is it done by that studio that anime studio that does all the fate stuff what
3: like ufo table
0: yeah ufo table
3: you you say i don't know i
0: don't know (laughs) know. Uh, it says opening opening animation production uh clover works oh so i'm not sure that might mean something to someone in the anime sphere i don't know who they are if only josh were here we'll follow up next week Oh, it's it a rebrand see. from A1. Okay, I have actually, I actually have heard of A1. Okay,
3: okay. then they did the uh, Apocalypse or whatever you call that. Yeah, right? yeah. I watched that one, and that was that was very mood, but it had they very know. good fight scenes in their head though they <laughs> I think did the budget on Yeah, they
1: <laughs> did uh, Spy Family, which uh, well, they've been doing a lot of really good uh, anime recently. Actually, looking at the. Uh, their wikipedia page they did uh Bochu the rock they did spy family mm. they did uh my dress up darling they did Priority, which
3: that one okay it's up for that one that one that that fell
1: apart near the end but the animation was good the animation was good so
3: yeah i heard they went for some lots of production issues and like i don't know when it aired <laughs> what, <laughs> like some of the phrase were incomplete what something. anime
1: airs these days that doesn't have production issues though that's the thing for real
0: yeah Any, anyways, it's a very and uh from what I could tell it's I've only seen a very clips of it, like anime style opening, very cool, good for animation fans. we will start to wrap up this podcast by just going uh, before through, we uh, before we go the, the rest of the news I think we kind of skipped over some of the other like features that went up this week, oh, yeah, I did skip over that oop, my bad oop, all right. So, yeah, uh, features that have went up this week. Obviously, we talked about the Atlas Fallen review that Adam wrote is up on the site. By the time you all listen to this podcast, we will very likely have the Baldur's Gate 3 review up. Um, and like Quentin surmised, it's not going to be a low score. We think pretty highly of it. Uh, so there's a few here that are from some other contributors on the site that are not podcast regulars. Uh, we have a um, a feature up on the site for the... Rune Factory Special that is coming out in early special. September. Special. Sorry, I mumbled my word there. Special. Rune Factory 3 Special. Uh coming out in early September. Uh Nathan Lee was able to get hands on. Big Rune Factory fan was able to talk about their experience with um with that release as kind of a preview. I get touches. to play it too. Yeah, you're oh, playing yeah. it for someone else, right? For guide purposes. Yes. Um, but now uh, it's so uh, I guess I, what I guess Nathan's preview, part of it was sort of mentioning how, like, if you're coming from Rune Factory 4 or 5, you know, you kind of have to acknowledge that this game is an earlier entry. For example, you can only play as a male character. Yeah, that is right. Um, So, you know, I know a lot of women like these games and probably would like to play as a female character if they could, but you can't.
3: Yeah, like, when they made the fourth one, their sales, like, nearly doubled, so they've discovered there's a huge audience for this, so, you know, it's like, well, better aim for that demographic, right? I mean, if they want, like, want to do like a full effort remake, they could have, like, had a female protagonist, you know, do, like, the stuff that they did back then where they sold Horace Spoon. the girls were, you know, they could have done something like that if they wanted to go that that full on, but it's just a simple... Port, I would call it, like the specials, with, like, you know, graphic treatments that it looks a little bit modern, but other than that, it's basically the same game as the, the original. I think the, the reason that you would play this version over, over Natsume is because the translation's completely been, been redone by Exit now, so some characters are definitely, like, they feel better in, in the Exit translation, while I do prefer some of them in the original Natsume translation. I think that's
0: sometimes inevitable whenever you have like a change. Yeah. I think I think it's likely just I'm just sort of speaking generically that people are always gonna there there's always gonna be preferences for some people like the original more like out of nostalgia, maybe just out of some sort of flavor or what have you. But yeah, I did I did see some comparisons and the translation is updated for the remake or the remaster, whatever we want to call it. Like for
3: example, like One of the characters I don't really like in the original, but I do like it a lot more in this remaster is uh, Karina. She's, like, this shopkeeper that is extremely lazy. She does not give a crap. And the new translation does her character a lot of wonders.
0: Is that the character uh, that Nathan mentioned that talks under her breath a lot?
3: Yeah, she's, like, completely falling asleep, and she's, like, one of the lions. like, oh. Apparently, her little gimmick
0: is hair. that. Her, apparently, her little gimmick is that whenever she talks under her breath, that's sort of like what she really means. And when she's like talking normally, she's like very guarded. So it's kind yeah. of a cute little. I don't know. But Yeah, this
3: character is like Murder. super lazy, and you're like, what? Like in the original translation, you just feel like just so lazy, <laughs> and that, that was it. Here, she has a lot of character at least, right? But
0: yeah, she, uh, Nathan mentioned her in the uh, preview. And,
3: but, like, the thing is that I feel like that does it better in the original would be something like Sophia, the opposite talk girl. Her dialogue in the original, because they took so much liberties to the dialogue, it's just so over-the-top. Like, one well, the confession lines at the end, she basically is like, wish an animal would fucking kill you. Oh, I've like,
0: seen this meme. Yeah, and
3: you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> you know, that's kind of like, how much she's trying to express how much she loves you, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you are just following the original Japanese dialogue, to just say "Iki" as in like "I hate you," it just doesn't really do much. But you yeah. know, but you get it. So I, I think that's that's the main reason to play this remaster. You want to see a new I, translation.
0: I also just think it's sort of just a good thing in general to take games that are on older systems and move them to newer systems, like like whether that's a remaster? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gothic on to switch. Everyone wanted that. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm being serious though. Like. It's yeah, a form what, what of to take these games, and now this game will be available as a PC game or a Switch game, and not like just be game's... locked away on the DS from you know 20 years ago or whatever. Like was. this game Come
3: is kind of inaccessible if you're, unless you're a pirate, because if you want to go on eBay and buy like the third one on the DS, they go for like 100 to 200 dollars, like USD, mm-hmm. just for like a cartridge alone. So in, like, I think there's, just,
0: I think there's just value in porting it too and
3: yeah like yeah. remaster so but yeah i i still highly recommend this i i still think it's probably the better rune factories game without some weird mechanics that ruin your experience i think there is only one thing that i do not like about the third one now that i'm replaying it again uh, a lot of the times when you're doing the story uh if you had a side quest or like an activity request that you accepted the story events don't pop and you just wonder that you did something wrong No, you had to, like, drop your side quest before the story events uh, appear. I think that's, like, my only gripes with the game, and I wish they addressed that in some way.
0: Mm. Yeah, that'll be coming out uh, in less than a month, in early September. We got a a new feature up on the site from a freelancer that I believe this is coming out of, correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, out of BitSummit, and that's this preview for... uh, a Steam single developer RPG called Dome King Cabbage. And actually, let me correct myself. It's not an RPG. It's a visual novel set in the world of a monster hunting RPG. So it has a very unique art style. It's kind of like a mix between like psychedelic and claymation, sort of, uh, and first person, as far as I can tell, art style. Um, and we had a, a freelancer... Named Junior Miyai, come on and write up a preview on this game that I hadn't heard of. But it looks like we've already got some nice comments on it. And I've gone to the Steam page. There's a, not a lot of excitement, but those that are, are waiting on the game to release are really excited about this one. Again, it's Dome King Cabbage. And it just seems like it has a, like a really interesting premise uh, and a really interesting art style. Very unique, sort of one-of-a-kind game. It's hard to describe and compare to other things. But, you know, we have a feature up on the site if that's something that sounds like it's uh, of interest to you. And one of the last features we have up here is that uh, out of one of James's many escapades in the last month, I forget exactly which one this comes out of, but you had a chance to correct me if I'm wrong, go hands on with the upcoming Lords of the Fallen, or was it just a hands off event?
1: It was a hands on event. It was like several hours. It was oh, just gotcha. one of. It was of those separate uh, LA events where they just got an invite in my inbox. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check that out. Yeah, why not? So,
0: yeah. The big thing with this game, as far as I understand, is that it's, like, Souls-like, but it has this sort of dual-world mechanic where you switch from, like, a living world to a dead world and back. Yeah, so. and it's and it's not like, um, what's the best
1: way to describe it? Like, the worlds are kind of overlaid on top of each other, and it's using, like, Unreal Engine 5 tech to be like, okay, well, seamlessly loading assets in and out. Uh, there's this really cool thing where you, where one of the game's main gimmicks is this lamp, and you can use it to kind of like uh, shine a light on the environment. And so let's say you're in the land of the living, you can use that lamp to get a, a sneak peek. Or not even just a sneak peek, you can like for anything directly within the lamps like gaze, you, you change it to the land of the dead. So like maybe you're looking around, it's like, hey, there's a gate here maybe the gate's not in the Land of the Dead, and you could, like, fully transition yourself there, or you could just use the lamp and just walk right through it. And stuff like that, which is interesting. But yeah, uh, for full thoughts, um, there's a preview up there.
0: Um, I'm in yeah, October.
1: I'm sort of interested. interested.
0: Yeah, yeah. September Uh, is pretty packed for us. October has a lot of games coming out, but not as many RPGs. Nothing major. Yeah, I think there's like Spider-Man in October, but that's not something we would cover. It Uh, feels
1: like for us, like outside, like after Starfield, that's like the last major RPG that should be huge. Like September,
0: yes, September we have Starfield. There's uh there's *Tate samurai remnant there's the dragon quest ar- action rpg there's uh boundless Wait, trails from falcom i
1: what? i forgot two things one there's dragon quest monsters 3 even though it's not yeah, called that's, monsters that's, well that's that's this year
0: that's that's december yeah
1: yeah and then there's like the uh super mario rpg remake I, I've never there's, played Super Mario RPG, but I'm uh, the impression I get it's, is it's not a very long
3: RPG. No, RPG. it's not. It's pretty no, short. Swift, yeah. And yeah. the max level in that game is 30. Quinton, you want to play? So Quinton, <laughs> you know. which
0: November RPG are you most excited about? Star Super- Ocean 2. Yeah. I know you Star Ocean. I was queuing yeah. him up, and he hit it.
3: So, I'm, so actually yeah, 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 yeah. I'm actually interested. I'm actually interested in that a lot too. It's the yeah. only good Star Ocean game. Sorry, guys.
0: But yeah, October, God. October, as far as RPGs go, there's Lords of the Fallen, which is why we got on this tangent. There's Disgaea 7, which, you know... That should I be feel big like,
1: for, for some people.
0: Yeah. I, I've, it, I've I, heard I, good it, things six, from the Japanese version. It seems I've like heard,
1: a bit of a rebound from 6. So. Uh, they have been very clear about we fucked up with <laughs> Disgaea 6. Like, I remember when I, like... So, obviously, I did the email interview with the director, but when I was at NIS America's HQ, like about like two months ago now, yeah, two months ago, and I like tried it out for a bit. The director was just there and they like it's like they were very clear. Uh, the auto battle's fixed. Uh, the <laughs> there, There's a lot more depth to the uh, it, it. Very clear. <laughs> they're trying to say, please, please please. We understand we messed up. This is a good one now. And it seems like from the Japanese impressions, it it, it's probably one of the series best. So I am kind of curious about it. I am kind of curious.
0: And that I think covers all of the different previews and Uh, did you mention Stray Gods? Oh, no, I didn't. I missed that one. Uh, yeah, So Stray Gods, which was originally uh, crowdfunded, uh, crowdfunded under the name Chorus before it changed its name mid-development. Uh, this is the one that has the um, they call it the role-playing musical. It's got a lot of the um, uh, what's the name of that role-playing voice acting group? Critical, Critical Role. Role. That's it. Critical Role. It's got a lot of those voice actors in there. The main protagonist is being voiced by Laura Bailey. Uh, so this is a game that uh, James had a chance to preview and then Paige was able to put up a review. Um, it came out on the 10th and Paige put up a review for it. But Paige, who has played a few visual novels, which is where this game kind of falls, uh, had just a few like frustrations uh, with the game. And I don't know the genre well enough to be able to speak to these too articulately, but it like Paige didn't like how you can't really retry songs that easily. Um, just just kind of a few like quality of life things that she thought were kind of lacking for this game in terms of that other visual novels tend to have. Adam I don't know if you were able to parse that better yeah, than you I, I were discussing edited. it with her. I I was talking with her and I was editing her review. Um she liked the music and she thought that was a highlight, which you know it should be and that's the kind of the unique thing about this game. Um one thing that's kind of a taste thing is that it's called a role-playing musical but it's there's not a lot of role-playing. It's there's there the role-playing element comes into dialogue choices that you make. Do move the story in different ways and maybe more interestingly they do affect like permutations of the songs that you sing and this is this sounds like the coolest part to me is that you know depending on choices made you might have like different people chiming in songs and like different duet styles or you know whatever and like kind of altering the the composition of a song and that's cool to me uh, she even said in her review, like, I don't know how you do a soundtrack release of this game, because, like, what version of the song do you consider, like, the uh, the soundtrack version? Because it can be altered in so many ways. But there's not, like, any sort of, you know, stats or numbers or, like, RPG mechanical things. It's really just dialogue choices. So she was saying it's more like a visual novel, just with dialogue choices and music. And she was... One thing that she didn't really like was... Um, in branching visual novels, she apparently likes to, like, have different saves concurrently along different branches to kind of, like, explore what if I do it this way or what if I do it that way. Where this game, you can't really do that. You How you revert is you sort of rewind your save back to, I don't know, a branching point, And then you can kind of go in the other direction. But kind of everything you did is erased rather than, you know, having, you know, a save along different paths. And that might be more of her, uh, I don't know, the style, the way she likes to play these games. But she wasn't a big fan of that. How it did the saving, and I I hope I'm expressing it properly because I'm not super well versed in the genre. But um, and apparently, things like there are some story things that she thought were kind of middling, and um, there's apparently there's like a romance in the game that kind of felt weak, and other things that were she was just like more neutral on, but she liked the music. So yeah, you were able to elucidate on some of the things that I I remember her talking about, but I wasn't. Editing the reviews, I didn't quite latch on to. But yeah, so it sounds like it has some good concept, but just falls short in a few other execution ways. And with that, we'll move on to kind of just wrapping up the podcast with a couple of upcoming release dates. Uh, This first one here, this is in chronological order, but this first one's probably the biggest. Uh, That is that Genshin Impact 4.0 will launch on August 16th, including the new Fontaine region. So ciao. Are you you still playing Genshin Impact
3: (laughs) I have completely quit for Honkai Star Rail. Uh oh,
0: okay. So we will no longer be able to lean on you for giving us actual details of what these updates mean.
3: I'll come back and roll for Farina. Or oh, okay. Farina, however you spell her name. She's the water archon. So I'll do that. And right. But I do know like, some people will definitely roll for her just for the voice actress alone in the Japanese. <laughs> I definitely know one guy that does that. Who is it? She's voiced by Inori Minase, so he will do anything. He'll do anything for her. (laughs) That's how you can. That's how I even convinced him to play Summoner games before. It's like, hey, did you know this character's voiced by her? It's like, what? Comes in and wails and goes away. Fantastic. Uh, But yeah, uh, I have completely quit for Honkai Star Rail, and even Honkai Star Rail right now in the most recent patch, that just came out like a few days ago. They got Kafka, so now everyone is back to in the game, to wail on her like crazy. Though, I definitely don't have any interest in that character, though. Which is kind of odd. A lot of people thought that, you know, (laughs) it's like, oh, I thought you are saving all your currency for Kafka. But I I just don't like that kind of play style. Even though she might be overpowered, it's just not my thing.
0: This is one where I saw, when I saw the headline of this one, I thought, wait, really? This game? Um, And that is Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. Is getting another DLC, the twenty-third World Tournament. That's the one where Goku originally fights Piccolo, um, young Piccolo, uh, on August seventeenth. Sorry, yeah, the seventeenth. So I am surprised that this game is still getting DLC, but shady, I because they already announced that it's getting even more. Oh, really? So yeah, there's going to be at least one more because the first season pass was three different DLC packs, and then I don't know earlier this year they're like we're doing three more. And the first of that was Bardock. Um and so this is the second of the this is the second DLC of the second set the world tournament. So there's at least one more. Um I mean I guess the I mean, fact that like, Xenoverse 2 still gets DLC, right? It got DLC from the yep. new um Gohan movie. So yep. I guess like you know, these Dragon Ball Z games are really kind of evergreen in terms of uh having a pretty loyal player base that will, you know, keep keep the game installed when they update them and uh, give them an opportunity to try out these new DLCs. I wonder if George is keeping up on Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. <laughs> we need George. I'm sure he is. Uh, WrestleQuest got delayed to August 22nd. Um, it was originally supposed to release on the 8th. Of course, it didn't. Uh, so it all got just pushed back a couple of weeks. It was like a save game bug. They're like, oh, we realized that people can delete their saves accidentally. Whoops. Whoops. Hmm. But hey, good thing they caught it now, I guess. Yeah. An indie strategy RPG called Untamed Tactics will launch on August 28th for PC. It seems like this one is uh, its sort of amusing, kind of maybe even gimmicky thing to it is that like the narrator is unreliable. So it's like he's like recounting his stories or his history and he's like, how did this go again? And I guess weird things can happen. So that's kind of fun, I guess, but...
3: I guess that's how they rewind time in this game. i <laughs> used to <laughs> like, fire. Well, happened.
0: <laughs> and right here is when the boss died to a critical hit, and then you miss. Uh, never mind, I must have missed. <laughs> I must <guess> have <I> forgot. <laughs> uh, Dokoban Kingdom Connect will be launching for PC on September 7th. Uh, it released on Switch um, earlier this year. All I know about this game is every time I post about it, the prevailing response we get on Twitter is...
3: This is my friendship.
0: Yep. Yeah. This is a friendship ruiner.
3: So if I buy this game for you guys and we decide to play, we're no longer friends. It's yeah.
0: Yep. It it seems like it's in that Mario King or Mario Party uh vein where everyone gets it's a multiplayer <laughs> multiplayer game, but you know, the way that yeah. it's structured and randomness just can kill friendships. Everyone becomes salty and petty. <laughs>
2: I made a truce with one of my roommates 15 years ago. We won't Mario Party ever again, and we're still friends. <laughs> to this day,
0: so We had to salvage our relationship. No more Mario Party. <laughs> yep. And then also coming out on September 7th is the official release of Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis. So we talked about this game at length when Josh was able to get a pretty lengthy preview of the game with the closed beta access. So kind of want to just rewind and not only that, but they wrote up, uh, Josh wrote up a pretty big feature on the site for, for Ever Crisis as well. So we'll see how the full game uh, launches, what we think of it. Of course, I'll kind of leave the interpretation to its reception up to Josh, who's more on the know on these things. But, uh, obviously we have Ever Crisis coming out this month and then, you know, the one we're really waiting for next, next year, the, uh, final fantasy 7 this refers. is weird but uh so i guess ever crisis we know from interviews i think even james's the it should include all of the original final fantasy 7 at launch yeah right yeah but i the one thing i saw on twitter i guess there's one shot that shows Aerith in like almost like a biker outfit like leather and people are like oh hello <laughs> Aerith in leather like yeah that's how they get that's how they get your money right Yep. yep, outfits like that. <laughs> I, I would probably yep. play
3: this game if they added the um, was what it what's that story called? Is it uh, before, before crisis? I think before
0: they, crisis. I think it's supposed to be included somehow. Or just maybe not right away. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. 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 I'll, I'll start playing it for that because there's like no access to that story whatsoever. So it's like, well, I'll, I'll go for that reason. Obviously, yeah, I don't want to yeah. deal with all the gotcha and all that mechanics. But I, I heard it's not that bad in this game. Is that what people said?
0: Uh, it's the um story is not supposed to require stamina, but I I guess I shouldn't even talk. I'm not I'm not well versed in this structure of game. I I feel
3: like gotcha games like this main story is very easy. The main problem is it's like if you want to clear all the difficult c- content, then you have to start to play either like crazy or you have to whale. You have to stick it either to two of these categories: your time or is it your money that's more important?
0: And that covers us with all the upcoming release dates uh, all within the next, like within a month, all those release dates that we just went through. Of course, uh, obviously the big uh, release coming up in September is Starfield. And then we've already talked about things like Star Ocean, uh, other games like Spider-Man that aren't in our purview, but certainly people will be playing. Of course, there's Armored Core as well at the end of the month. So pretty busy times ahead. So those of us that are currently playing Baldur's Gate 3, we have a lot of incentive to, uh, you know, get through this one before our plate becomes too full. But uh, before I start wrapping up with the sign off, I do want to say just thank you for Quentin for jumping on uh, this week's podcast to talk at length with us about both Ballers Gate 3 and a little bit on Atlas Fallen.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it. It was good to be here.
3: Cool. You come in more often. I should. Maybe when, you, then ho- maybe when we're talking about Starfield.
0: There we go. <laughs> and then uh, hopefully uh, Josh is feeling better. We'll be back next week. Um, I will not be here the next two weeks, so I, I trust the crew to hold down the fort. <laughs> I come back and I'm like, uh, Donald Glover holding fire. the pizza. It's, that, <laughs> so, yeah, it's on fire with that guy in the movie. Yeah, so, so, all right. Well, hopefully we all come to that. But uh, thank you so much for listening to the TetraCast. You can find all the features that we talked about up on our website at RPGsite.net. You can find our RPG site on all the social media platforms. Uh, just search our RPG site on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or the site formerly known as Twitter, and you should be able to find us. Uh, you can join our Discord at discord.gg slash RPG site or hit the link at the top of our homepage. And we will be back next week with another episode of the TetraCast. Thank you so much for listening. Um, until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. And we will talk to you all later.